Hey everybody, can you see me? Can you hear me? Always got to get those uh, little uh, technical uh, snafus out of the way first. Everything should be set up correctly. We should be ready to go. Uh, happy Christmas Eve, if it is that thing for you, wherever you might be in the world. Oh, of course, you might be watching this in the far, far future. Uh, looking back and seeing what an idiot I was when I said, yeah, those are the best 44 games of 2022. It just now occurred to me. It's the year 2022, and I have 44 games. Ah, that's kind of a nice little bit of serendipity. No one has said they can hear me yet. That's a little worrisome, but I will say, um, Wesseloid, Merry Christmas to you. Um, yes, go spend time with your family. I will be here. You can watch this later. Don't feel bad, Wesseloid. Oh, good, good, good. Everybody can see me. Hey, Feld fan. Hey, uh, hey, Paolo, what are you doing here? I haven't seen you at one of these for a while. Paolo? I should warn you. Interestingly, you were the first person to get me your, um, you know, uh, best game of the year, so I could put that compilation of all the other people on the channel together. You're the first person to get it done. Congratulations! And uh, not everybody has done it yet, so um, I'm still waiting on one more. So you won't be if you if you tune in to see yourself. Sorry, pal. You'll have to wait till tomorrow, Christmas Day, because folks, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Here's what's going on. Um, first of all, there is every chance in the world that I am going to open this box of Weather Machine and tell you what's inside because um, we gotta kill a little bit of time while we wait for folks to show up. Then I will do my top 10 preliminary list of the games of 2022. And I say preliminary, I mean it, because I'll be back in April or May after I've played another 20 or so games um, that... Uh, um, might make it into the top 10. So this is a preliminary list. I mean, heck, this could very well... Spoiler alert, this is not in the top 10. It's still in shrink wrap. I haven't got a chance to play it yet. It literally just showed up two days ago, and I don't have time. There's no time. Time is the fire in which we burn. So um, we're going to open this. We're going to do the top 10. I know if you watch the the... Coming soon, the trailer, I said, oh, and everybody else's number one pick. Um, you know, Shay's and Kimberly's and Amy and Maggie's and Ryan's and Ruel's and um, uh, 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 Grant's and Paolo's. But I don't quite have those ready. So everything we're going to do today will be available tomorrow on YouTube as well. Now, you, if you stick around for this whole thing today, you're going to get everything except for the Contributors Top 10. So you'll still want to jump over to YouTube tomorrow and hear what Paolo's number one was. I guarantee, folks, well, I don't know. If you know Paolo, it will surprise you. Um, you know, Paolo... I mean, you know, Paulo eats stuff like this for breakfast, but his number one of the year very much surprised me. And, uh, I, you know, so we'll put all of that stuff together. So what goes live on Christmas Day is going to be kind of a cut-down version of this live stream, just the top ten, plus the number ones for everybody I just listed. So you'll still have a reason to check in tomorrow. But actually, I should ask, does anybody... Um, oh, Paulo, I break your heart, I know. It's true. 
Um, are, 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 are you going to go on strike? Uh, um, you know, it protests this uh, egregious... Um, Although, actually, yours is the trickiest one. I don't know if I told you this, Paulo. Because you recorded it at a convention, and I could barely hear you. Um, because you have a relatively soft voice. And the um, even when you said, I will move over here where it is more quiet, it was not quiet. Could still barely hear you. So, for yours, I had to go actually find an AI website that can use the artif- artificial intelligence to extract just the speaker and get rid of all the background noise. And I was shocked how good it works. But now, I have to superimpose that um, extracted AI-created audio where you're more machine than man to put it to your video and then your game. Which, again, Folks, you'll be very surprised. Or maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, um, so what we're going to do... Right, okay. Do people want to see this? Because I don't have to unbox this. We can get straight to the top 10s. After we're done with the top 10, I will then do uh, oh an additional... 34 games, because I'm really doing my top 44 games today. But just I'm doing the top 10, which becomes its own little episode, and then we'll see 44 to 11. Then the other thing I'm going to do is talk about, I think it's about 20 or so games that are still on my wish list of things I wanted to get played because they had a chance of punching their way in. So I'm going to be doing both of those lists afterwards, and then I'll be doing Q&A if anybody has any questions or strongly disagrees with any of my assessments or whatever. Oh, also, by the way, folks, special just for the day. If you scroll down below the video since you're here right now, um, I, you know, we've got those stickers. And mostly the stickers are used for people applauding or what have you, or, you know, pointing out when something goes wrong, you know, the hey, listen thing that I can hear in my ear. But I noticed, oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of fun little uh, Christmas uh, stickers. So I turned them all on just for today. They're all free. Um, There you go. There you go. Um, In fact, there is a nice and a naughty. If you want to, for every one of my entries, as I'm counting down, you can give it a naughty or nice if you agree or disagree. Or you could just do some (laughs) regular ho-ho-ho stuff, or, you know, whatever you might want. Uh, Normally, I only have two pages of stickers, but I think there's like four of them now. Whoa. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you did the light did the lights flicker for you? The lights just flickered. We I'm in the Pacific Northwest. We are on the tail end of the uh, what is it? Is it a winter cyclone that's going on right now? I mean, um, it was silly walking the dogs this morning because our our entire street was you know covered with probably I don't know a quarter inch, maybe even a half an inch thick sheet of solid ice, um, and the dogs could not walk without skittering all over the place and. I mean, it's been raining and kind of storming ever since, and that was a bit nerve-wracking that the lights just flickered like that. This stream might be over quicker than I would have normally anticipated, but hopefully not. Um, Fingers crossed. Is there an appropriate uh, sticker for fingers crossed? That is probably not it. I I say nope to uh, a power outage right in the middle of my Christmas Eve live stream. Fingers crossed. Everybody cross your fingers. Uh, Do the triple finger cross. The finger, the finger cross, and then double cross both of those, and then cross all of these, and then cross them all, so that we will not um, crash. Okay. So, I kind of dropped a hint. Has anybody said they actually want to see winter... Very sus indeed. Uh, does anybody want to see Weather Machine, not Winter, Weather Machine opened? Because if not, if, if nobody says, yeah, I'd like to see what's in this big latest box of Vita Lasarda goodness, if nobody wants to see that, we can just get right to the top 10. That's totally cool with me. I'm going to get a drink of water while you folks um, talk amongst yourselves. 
Uh, yes, Winter Machine. Um, okay, Paulo uh, says, "Give my hometown hero or my home country hero, uh, Vital, 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 some love." I keep saying Vital. I know that's wrong. I believe it's Vital. It, uh, Apollo, um, is it one Vital, two Vital, three Vital? I don't know. I, I assume it's one Vital, right? Is that correct? Uh, Paulo's Portuguese, folks. Paulo hangs out with uh, Vital Lasarda in real life, so he would know. It is number one. Vital Lasarda. Okay, uh, I see some love. Let's go on ahead and see if the overhead camera has crashed. Boop. Nope, there it is. Okay, bring it over here. Okay, line it up a little bit. Yeah, I've still got my LED. Um, I just love this thing. I, we, I just leave it on 24 hours a day. It's very minimal um, power consumption, but it's just fun to see it as you walk by from the other rooms. Okay, weather machine from Vital Lasarda. Urgh, there we go. Urgh. All right, don't need a knife. So, folks, what is the sitch? In Weather Machine, you take on the role of one of the scientists working with Professor um, um, Lativ, or Lativ, Lativ. You must manage your own laboratory, acquiring vouchers to spend in other locations, building box, acquiring chemicals, and increasing the size of your workshop where you will store resources and build prototypes. Once you have conducted enough research into a particular type of weather, you'll want to publish a paper on that subject and then build a prototype to uh, fix some of the extreme weather caused by experiments uh, made by Lativ's flawed weather machine. Maybe we're all going through that a bit right now in the U.S. and I'm sure elsewhere in the world. Uh, this was research into those flaws will lead to breakthroughs that will help humanity to fix extreme weather forever, getting uh, you awards and possibly a Nobel Prize. And this is what's most interesting to me about this more than anything else is Vital Lasarda is not known for flights of fancy. This is clearly a steampunk-inspired style game where we can make... Uh, where we, there's already a weather machine that's been built. Hey, $5 off. Any order over 30 Use the promo code, folks. There it is. Oh, I don't have my green screen on. That's okay. Promo code... Egg 2002 if you want to get $5 off any order over 30. Okay, so we have got a rule book. I believe Vital writes these himself, if I recall correctly. Let's see here. Um, right, so all the setup and the player setup. And um, all right. Then we get right into game structure. Very good. Not wasting all that time on important things you need to know, which is always a terrible, terrible mistake that rulebook writers are making more and more as time goes on. And fairly small type. A lot of pictures, though. And uh, obviously, as you might expect, this is going to be a big, heavy, crunchy son of a gun. Oh, for shame, Evil Griffin Games. It's a lovely picture, but where is my nice summary of information I need that I can just leave this on the table and somebody says, hey, what's the turn structure? I can just hand... or whatever. Oh, that's a shame. That's a big waste of space. No breakdown of what all the icons mean? Nothing? Come on. Anyway. Always handy, I guess pretty standard these days, um, where you put all your stuff in all your little uh, bits and bobs holders. Okay. Hey, it's a punch board. And yeah, this is kind of a thick... Yeah, this is a nice standard thickness. I don't know what any of these things are. <laughs> you know you're playing a Vital Lasarda game, a Vital Lasarda game, if your player aid is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pages long. 
Of course. Um, geez Louise. Okay, well, I guess that's why you felt it was not necessary to put anything on the back of the rule book. I'll allow it. But geez Louise, that's this is there's a lot. But again, you know, I mean, man, I have not played a big heavy uh Vital game since on Mars, I think. Is that right? I think so. Anyway, okay, uh, don't need you anymore. Lovely uh, double layer boards, the hottest of hotnesses. This is one of our um, laboratories. And I think, um, you know, these are, what are these? Are the certificates or whatever they call them that you have to spend these to be able to do actions and you get more of them or less of them over time. Lots of slots. You're, all your writings, you can put in all these slots and fill them in and then fill those spots in. Things that go up and down, left and right. Anything we can slide in? Nope, no sliding in. I, I have not played the game yet, folks. I, I don't know much about it. If I recall, the main thing, as I recall, is it kind of very much has a oh, um, Kanban vibe because it's a worker placement game where you only have one worker. You. You are the worker, which I always love there. And I think it, there's even a place, I mean, you know, this Dr. Lativ guy is the replacement for Sandra because he's a worker who moves around and occupies spaces also. So I think these are all the rooms for your laboratory or something like that. And these are all the experiments you can do. And, or maybe these are the experiments you can do? I'm not quite sure. But, okay, oh, here we go. It's the board. All right, let's, all right, move all this stuff aside. Make room for the big board. Whoop. All right, looks like, is it a portrait or a landscape? Ah, landscape. Actually, man, I kind of like portraits. They're more of a pain for me to actually do layout. Um, you know, obviously, since I I uh, broadcast in 16 by 9, a uh, landscape just fills the screen better. But I do like portrait boards. But, okay, a lot of stuff here. I think... Where are the worker placement spots? Are these? Or... Though, though, okay, yeah. These are the worker placement spots. I'm going to go here, 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 here. Or maybe here. Is this like a turn order worker placement spot? I don't know. Um, and then, I, or maybe, no, or, or no, this is the area. Yeah, these are the worker placement spots. Right. And the further to the left you are, if multiple people go here, multiple people do it. This is the uh, weather machine. No, is this the weather machine? This is the weather machine itself, or I guess all of this is the weather machine. And the other cool thing about it is that, you know, as a, and ex, was it, was something like, you know, experiments are here. Um, but anyway, you have to deploy, you have to deploy, your, you have your one work, but you have robots that go all over the place. And I think multiple people, if you can, if I can see that you're about to do an experiment, I could get one of my robots in to help with that experiment. And that means I'll get some benefit too. I am always appreciative of those kinds of overlaps between players. Boom. What happened? Uh, great deceiver. Is something wrong? Have I crashed? Oh yes, it turns out I crashed quite spectacularly during the live feed, and it took about 10 or 15 minutes to get everything back up and running, all our ducks in a row, so I could continue with the unboxing, followed by the top 10-ing, followed by all the additional lists. So let's just skip all of that and get back to it. It's a Christmas miracle. The stream is saved. Um, but folks, if it starts going bad again, give me the old, hey, listen, so I can hear it in my ear. And um, I'll leave this open and do another test in a couple of minutes and make sure it's still. But in the meantime, let's go back to the unboxing. Um, overhead. Right. Bloop. Hey, here we are. Remember this? I was talking about this. Uh, you probably didn't hear any of it because the interception about. But anyway, it's a worker placement game. We've got your one worker. There's a Sandra-esque Kanban type thing. But then we've got all of our trays. And uh, the one thing that holds them all together. Yep, my speed is still rock solid. So that's good. That's good. Okay. And 
Um, all right, so these are the little books Arr, that you uh, basically, uh, I assume you probably publish papers or whatnot for your research results. Are these some more books? Yep, yeah. Okay, so there's books representing the different weather phenomenon that I'm studying. Here's some cute little adorable workers and robots. Look at that. I assume that is a robot that belongs to this color player. This is uh, not a color. Is this, would you call it taupe sand? That is not a color I normally see. Oh, you know what? I need to turn on my green screen. Is it back on? Yeah. We need to show them over here. Do, do, do. So that's one player with his... Uh, apparently, we have small and big robots in this game. Let's pick another player character. Uh, ah, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah, in fact, yes, they are all the same. They're just different colors. Is the medium robot the same as well? Yeah, it looks like all the little robots are that design, and the scientists look like... Oh, no, the scientists look like a little bit different, so let's go on ahead and get another one out here. Your orange, orange. So there is a cute little orange robot. Oh, this must be the, the head honcho scientist that we work for. Yeah, that's me. That's the, my boss. My boss has a special robot, and I've just got regular robots like the boss. Okay, that's all very, very nice. Uh, this is a nice little wood... I think it, it feels like it's wood. Uh, presumably first player marker, or is this the reward you get? Is that the Nobel Price Prize you can win? Alrighty. Then we've got little cylinder discs that have little silk screen thunderclouds on them, and... Looks like they're all the same, right? And then, oh yeah, there's different discs that have toxins on them or poisons or some such or bad things. And more discs and, yeah, various pieces of wood. Okay, oh, Jen's going to be happy whenever there's a purple option. You know what Jen's going to be playing. Okay, that's basically it. I ended up spending more time on that than I thought I was going to because of the technical snafu. Let's test again while we're putting this away. Talking head, that is the scene I switched. Okay, so, sorry folks, that was... Normally I like to think I'm a little bit sharper and smoother in my unboxing, but I'm just glad to still be here and you folks can still see and hear me. Yep, and it looks like the upload speed is still staying at a rock-solid 14 um, megabits, per, megabits per second. Is it megabits or megabytes? It's megabits if it's a lowercase b, it's megabytes if it's an uppercase b. Is anybody technically uh, sound enough to correct me on that? I think that's the way it is. Maybe it used to be anyway. Taupe. Thank you. Taupe, weave and roll. I agree. Taupe is not a color you see near enough. Uh, we see plenty of sandy, uh, um, tan type things, but taupe. Well, we, you know, uh, hashtag more taupe, please. Okay. Everything seems to be going fine. Yeah, the board is, it is lovely. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's Eno Tool. Uh, you know, the, one of the greatest artist designer, uh, partnerships in, uh, board gaming is when Eagle Griffin brought Eno Tool together with, uh, with uh, Vitala Sarda, and it's always lovely, and I can't wait to try it. And sadly, because I've only just now opened that for the first time, and I clearly don't know anything about it, that will be not making my top 10 of the year. But it might, because for folks who are just now showing up... Um, let's see, speaking of just now showing up, let me make sure that the YouTube thing went out to announce to everybody that we are live. Did it do its thing? The premiere thing. Um, yep, it says it's premiering. So, okay, cool, cool, cool. 
So that seems to be working. Everything, uh, we're firing all cylinders. I'm going to leave that speed test open, though, just in case, because that scared the crap out of me. All right, folks, uh, that was the pre-show. That was the warm-up. That was the appetizer. Now we're going to do the top 10. And after done with the top 10, uh, we will do some Q&A and the, uh, t- uh, the top 34 after the top 10 and my wish list for the rest of the year and anything else you folks want to see, right? Does that sound good? Hopefully. But before we do all that, you folks have to fight to the death. Battle Royale ensues in three, two, one. I can't type. Let's try it again. Battle Royale. Alrighty. And let's turn the green screen off again because I just saw a flicker. Hopefully it was the green screen flickering. I don't know. Um, but, do, do, do. Wow, not many subscribers here today. This is going to be a quick one. All right. And you'll notice, by the way, I put on my finest Christmas finery with my Santa hat and my pet frog, and I throw down with Ruel, and um, Ruel and I are just two ships passing in the night. We can't stay mad at each other. So now it's frog versus snake, goblin versus rotto. And then I move on to, um, you know, bump uglies. I know what that means. I still say it anyway. With Zen for one, uh, Hero Logic and I. So I just reached out and touched everybody. And now I'm off all by myself. But Weave and Roll says, please, sir, may I have a frog? Yes, you may. And you're dead, Weave and Roll. So, uh, too bad, so sad for you. Wow. Hey, it could come down to me and Paulo, it looks like. Uh, yep, Paulo, Hero Logic, and me. I'm trying to finish off Hero Logic. If Hero Logic gets that health pack, though, we will not. Oh, I think it's going to be Paulo and um, Hero Logic then. Man, I was kind of hoping for like the ultimate. Um, yep, but I'm out. I made one goof too many. And now it's Paolo's mastery of Klingon subtitles against the Borg, it looks like, from Hero Logic. And Paolo makes a run for our health pack. Oh my gosh, folks. This is very dramatic and exciting as a uh, Christmas Day or Christmas Eve uh, battle to the death. Wow, this is pretty evenly matched. In fact, so the two of them are just going to keep dancing around. But if Paolo can grab that health pack, it's all over. And he doesn't. Paolo says, I don't need any health pack. Psych! I'll just take you out with my banana, I believe. Uh, and you were made a bad choice, Paolo. Hero Logic is the last subscriber standing. Woohoo! Enjoy your hundred gold, sir. Or madam. Alrighty. Woo! Okay. Actually, what is a non-binary replacement for sir and madam? Is there one? Uh, fellow. Nope, that'd be kind of male. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, so, I think we're ready to go, folks. Um, right. Fewer subscribers here today than normal, which is totally understandable. You. Yes, you. I think you makes perfect sense, Weave and Roll. Um, or y'all, if, uh, I mean, I think for a brief window... Actually, Jen tried to make y'all a thing. She really tried to adopt it when we lived in Texas. I... It never really stuck with me. Uh, I have a few weird British pronunciations of things, but otherwise... Okay, I think we're ready to go um, for the top 10. So, I can minimize that. I can do another test, because now I'm just so freaking paranoid about that speed test. I wonder if I should just leave. Folks, Is there are there any Windows um, technicians who know if... Hey, if I have both a hard line plugged into my Windows 10 machine and Wi-Fi, that it will smartly switch to one or the other if um, if, if things are going bad? In theory, it shouldn't need to. And, in, and, and I'm, I'm still rock solid, so that just must have been... That must have been uh, some uh, technical issues back at the uh, Comcast home front, I would assume. Okay, 
So I've got that ready. I've got that ready. Okay, I've got my number 10 ready. Phew, uh, should switch to LAN. Oh, and I just saw another... All right, so my green screen off is not getting rid of the glitches. So let's um, help with that by killing, as I've done in the past, Windows Explorer itself. I already have everything running that I need to run, so I'm not going to need to run anything else. So go to Task Manager, find Windows Explorer, and kill it. All right, boom. End task. I'm running Explorerless. And also, uh, kill Task Manager itself. All righty, so now... Um, pedal to the metal. Hopefully all of my resources are now going, or uh, what I think is happening every time one of those little glitches happens, because I'm, you know, live streaming between right now two cameras. Oh, you know what? I, I could turn off the overhead camera. Will that help? Will that help? You know what? I'm going to do that. I am going to come back to the overhead and I am going to disable that camera. Why, why not? That never occurred to me until now. Disable cameras if I'm not using them. Go into properties and uh, deactivate. Boop. Right? Except I just deactivated the wrong one. Activate! Activate! Oh my goodness! Come back. Okay. Wrong one. Wrong one. Overhead camera. Deactivate. Deactivate that one. All right. So, right. Then, now, there is nothing vying for the access to my hard drive. I've killed one drive, so there's nothing, no, um, you know, uh, hard drive uh, grabs going on there or memory usage. I'm running OBS. I'm running stream avatars. I'm running Chrome. That's it. Those three things. And there is only one camera now. My overhead camera and oh, you know, oh, I hide this camera, but I don't actually turn it off. You know what? How about we actually? turn off the green screen. Because I just realized, me hiding it is not disabling it. It's only hiding it. So it's still capturing, and that could create glitches too. So let's go on ahead and get rid of that also. Which means I have to go to green screen active, and I have to go into my green screen camera, and I have to go into its properties, and I have to deactivate as well. Close. All right. Now, if, if we have any more screen glitches now, I will be very upset because I am running so lean and so to the metal. Um, just only one camera, only three main applications running. We should see no more. Yeah, I know, and you're right, I'm Goblin. I do know Chrome hogs the RAM. For a while, I had switched to um, some really, really low-impact browser. I can't remember the name of it now. Calibri. Calibri. And I was actually pretty happy with it. But to be honest, there were so many things I missed, I had to go back to Chrome. And so I know Chrome is hogging things, especially because I've got 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 tabs open. The 10 of the games we're about to go through, and then some other stuff that I'm ready to... You know, I can close some of these tabs, though. I don't need that tab or that tab right now. Or I've got, I want to keep, I'm going to do one more speed test and then I'll close that tab too. The speed test um, tab, you know, it's just using the Google built in one. Last attempt. How's our, how's our speed? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, what well, well, guy came over here because my browser has um, kicked the bucket. Need to reset the browser. Wait a minute. Why don't, aren't you showing the browser? Well, that's interesting. Two things. First of all, my upload speed has gone from 15 to 6 megabits per second, or megabytes. And I think I can't show the browser if I don't have um, Explorer running. I don't think I can. 
Because you don't see it. Well, then, okay, we got to bring Explorer back. I feel like I've done this successfully before, though. Does anybody... All right, let's bring back the task manager. And then let's go file, run, Explorer. All right, and it comes back slowly but surely. And all right, it's back. That didn't fix it. But now, if I try and reset Chrome, there it is. Wow, that is interesting. And my speed is back up. But anyway, okay, let's go on ahead and close that tab too. And you know what? I'll close feature chat as well. So, I, I'm, uh, that is too bad. But anyway, Windows needs Explorer. Well, yeah, it needs it for some stuff, but you can get by. I mean, I don't need to access more files, but apparently Streamlabs OBS needs Windows Explorer for some reason to be able to read the output the, of uh, Chrome. I, I could see it on my screen. Oh, you know what I could have done instead? Instead of just doing a window capture, I could have done a screen capture and that would work. But I don't have a screen capture set up and we have already wasted way too much time um, for... I'm, I, I, hey, welcome, folks. I know you just came to hear the top 10 games of the year, but when you show up live, you know, uh, sometimes technical difficulties ensue. But I think we're ready to go. So, one more time. I've got my kings. I've got my... Um, what's it? I just confirmed that um, the browser is viewable. By the way, folks, during this, if you're used to seeing me live stream, I'm not going to bother putting the banner down because I'm going to have to edit this together with all the other stuff later. So I'll put banners in later. So now you're just going to see full screen, the 10 games, and you'll have to... Oh, what number are we on? Well, you'll just have to listen to me because I'll say our number 7, our number 6, or whatever. And I'll edit it later for the uh, YouTube Christmas Day version of the video. So, another thing. I am just going to go right into the top 10. Because I don't have all of the contributors' segments yet, I wanted to share the segments with you. You know, what, what was Paulo's number one? What was Kimberly's number one? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Amy and Maggie and everybody, but I don't have them all. Hey, thank you for subscribing, Orchardson. Uh, you're getting us closer to unlocking more bonus stuff. Very, very much appreciated. Your avatar should appear down there at the bottom of the screen. Whisper me if you would like details about discounts on Rotto merch. And um, also, whisper me if you would like to see this month's uh, secret subscriber-only video. What was it? It was... Um... Oh, uh, uh, um, it was <sighs> Dog Lover. Yeah, if you want to see me and Jen play through an entire game of Dog Lover by subscribing, Orchard, you have just unlocked that. You just have to whisper me, and I will send you the secret link so you can watch that. Uh, I would send it later, though, because right now i got to get to the show. So anyway, folks, we're going to do... Um, it's just the top ten. I'm going to started saying, okay, folks, and number 10 is. So it's just going to go right into it. I'm going to record all of the preamble once I've got the contributor section all together as well. And then when I end, I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, hue. And so I'm not going to do the preamble or the postamble of the standalone. I'm just going to do just the list right now so I can edit that in with other stuff later. But then after that is over, stick around because I've got an additional 34 games because I'm really doing the top 44 today, not the top 10 of the year. And I'll also tell you my wish list for other stuff. So if that makes sense, let me get one last sip. And um, let's see here. So I think it'd be like this. I, I'd still be full screen like this. And I say, thanks, everybody. That was a really great. Oh, I loved all of your stuff, everybody. But now the moment you've all been waiting for, let's get to my 10, whatever else I'm going to say. Um, yeah, I just go. So let's begin with number 10. Okay. <clears throat> right, right, right. Okay. And which means I click from that to that. And spoiler alert, folks, my number 10 is Carnegie. So um, just making sure it's there. And is it playing? Yes, it is. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So that's all fine. Spoiler, number 10 is Carnegie. Whoa, what the heck just happened? 
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Oh, whoops, that's the wrong thing. That's my, right, okay, right, 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 okay. Oh, okay. Oh, Weaving Row, thank you for handing out gift subs. Who won it? Mystery Science Bob. Congratulations, Mystery Science Bob. Your little avatar will appear down at the bottom of the screen within a couple of minutes, and you can walk around and hug people, or fart, or gamble, or do all kinds of stuff. Scroll down. There's a list of commands you can do once your little avatar starts walking around, uh, including customization and whatnot. Okay. Oh, one more sip then. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm ready to go, folks. Are you ready to go? Let me go on ahead and mark. And it's at this point, folks, where I actually recorded the countdown from 10 to 1. That is not here in this video. Instead, you can follow the links down in the show notes to go check out that as a separate video. That will also include, as I previously mentioned, all of the number one games from the seven contributors to the channel, too. So you don't want to miss that. And now we're going to jump forward about 40 minutes to after I exhaustingly finished the countdown so we can get to two more incredibly long lists, which is probably what you've come for. Alrighty. I delivered 10. What do you think? Um, am I crazy? How did all that sound? I'm pretty pleased as punch with the results, I gotta say. Oh, and uh, how are we doing? Oh, wow, we're over 100 viewers. Boy, folks, you are glad. It's a good thing you were not here at the beginning because we had some huge technical difficulties in the middle of my unboxing of Weather Machine. But hopefully everything went smooth, right? I'm going to do another speed test. I haven't done one for a while just to make sure everything's fine and dandy. Speed test. Do, do, do. Run speed test. Um, boop. All righty. Yeah, my upload speed's always been, or my download speed has always been fine. I pay a lot for my internet. Um, but hey, it's tax deductible because I use my internet, right? That's uh, not as high as it could be, but 12, 13 upload, that's fine. So it would appear things are still going fine. So hopefully those technical gremlins we had at the beginning of the show are a thing of the past. Right. Okay. So any questions so far? Well, I wouldn't know because, and you might not have known, I'm mean, hopefully longtime viewers know that if you have a question for me, let me go back to my uh, question queue meter. You're, you start your question with a question mark. That means it goes into a queue so that I can find them easily because I'm really terrible at le- or, um, you know, uh, reading the chat. But no, apparently, apparently everybody 100% agreed with every one of my choices. Nobody said, what about game X or Y or Z? I was kind of expecting there'd be um, some kind of stuff like that. Oh, like right now, Goblin uh, just asked question mark, 
Uh, oh, no, I see Goblin. On behalf of Weave and Roll, who didn't know about the special rule, Weave and Roll, if you have a question, start it with a question mark, but um, Goblin copied and pasted. Weave and Roll asked about Terracotta Army. Terracotta Army is fantastic. Jen and I both liked it a lot. Um, this is not a slide against the game at all, but here's the deal. Nobody really talks about this. That is a mean-spirited game. That is a black heart beating at the center of that game. Because it is a communal board where we're trying to build the Terracotta Army. Unlike Xion, where everybody was doing their own individual one, which I definitely like more. Uh, I mean, Xion is so good. But Terracotta Army, so much of this game, at least when you're playing two-player, is, hey, every ta- every uh, statue I put out in the Terracotta, whether it's a soldier or an archer or a, a horse or whatever it's going to be, every single one of them, um, gives me the opportunity to expand my own goals I'm going for, but if I can place them in the right place, I can also squash yours. And a perfect move is something that's perfect for me and destroys the thing that was perfect for you. And Jen and I found we were constantly um, just you know stomping all over each other because, hey, I oh, I can do a thing that's really good for me and it ruins you? Great. I guess I have to do that. And for us, it was just too mean. At a higher player count game, I don't think that would happen so much, of course, because at a higher player count game, you uh, if you're only targeting one other opponent, you're only hurting yourself. But in a two-player game, the uh, the uh, the hate drafting or the, the hate statue building is strong. So it could not make the list for us. That was not a keeper for us. Um, let's see. Um, I see uh, uh, Michalors asked, no Carnegie. Yes, Michalors. Carnegie was my number 10. You must have come in late to the party, pal. Yeah, fantastic. Now, it is still worth asking, why did it come in at number 10? Um, what the heck is up with that? Was it my number 10? Yes, it was my number 10. Which means when I revisit this list, you know, in a few months after I play more games, there's a very good chance it'll get bumped off the list when it boils right down to it. Here's my one problem with Carnegie. I mean, I didn't really talk about this in the top 10 because I really wanted to focus on the good stuff, but I'll tell you the bad stuff if you're here and you want to ask. Um, I just normally don't like, I don't like to be negative in my actual show. But if I'm just casually chatting with folks, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what is garbage about X, Y, or Z. Um, if people ask, and you can ask in comments, you can direct message me, you can whisper me, all kinds of stuff. But anyway, my problem with Carnegie is, boy, as beautiful as the engine building of that game is, and the spreading around on the main board, and the way everything interplays, that game needs more office department tiles. It comes with... um, It feels kind of like, hey, what would Dominion be if Dominion only came... The original box of Dominion only came with about 60% of the cards that came in the box. I think think people would very quickly think, boy, this game needs an expansion stat. And for me, Carnegie needs an expansion. It does not have enough. Now, here's the deal. If you backed it when it was on Kickstarter, you got that expansion. Uh, And it kind of feels to me like one of those cases where the publisher said, well, hey... We need to uh, uh, juke the stats a little bit. Let's take a portion of the game out and make it a standalone expansion uh, that people can get if they back on Kickstarter so that we'll do a, do a better... I, I don't know if this is the case or not. I, do, I'm, I, I don't actually even say this in a disparaging way because Carnegie, in the, what's in the box, is great. But it feels to me like it's missing more stuff. It feels like it should have more variety in the types of departments you can build in your corporation. And the thing is, there are a bunch more you can get, but only if you backed it on Kickstarter, and that's not available. Now, 
Good news, everyone. I recently read on BoardGameGeek that that expansion is going to be available sometime in the first half of 2023. And what I'm hoping is I can get a copy of that before April or May comes around. And if I can, Jen and I will play it some more with all the extra stuff that um, didn't make it into the base box. And I suspect... My suspicion is that will make the game rise, rise, rise higher and higher on the top 10. If I can't get my hands on that, or if it doesn't come out, then it'll probably get bumped out by other stuff, because we're about to do uh, my second list of the show. Um, but we'll get to that in a second. Anyway, good question. Uh, that is the deal with Carnegie. Okay, what would be your number 11? Well, Mr. Boom... I'm glad you asked. I think that's as good a time as any to segue into... I'm going to give you three lists today, folks. I've given you the top 10. How about we go to my next list, which is the top 44. I'm going to tell you games number 44 all the way down to game number 11, Mr. Boom. I'm not going to spend near as much time. I'm just going to try and rapid fire them because, I mean, geez, how long... It must have taken me like 40 minutes or something just to talk about 10 games. So we don't want to be here all... Maybe you want to be here all day, but I got other stuff to do. Like, I've got to edit all this stuff together to turn it into a standalone thing that'll go up on Christmas. So anyway, thank you, Mr. Boom. That's as good a cue as any to bring up... Let me go on ahead and get this ready. My list of the top 44... Number 44 to number 11, right? Where is that? Let me go on ahead and put this over here. That will help with that. And, okay, that's there. And let me get a drink of water. And here we go with, oh, excuse me, trying not to belch, <laughs> with list number two. Whew, hey there. Okay, number 44, the 44 best game of the year. Oh, shoot, I need to, um, hold on a second. I need to take away Mr. Boom's question. It would eventually time out, but that would have taken a while. Okay, so number 44 on the list, spoiler, you already saw it, was Fife, F-Y-F-E. And it's all caps, by the way, in case you go looking for it. Uh, this is a wonderful, crunchy, abstract game. There's no theme here. We're on a beach. We're putting surfboards down, and we're looking for shells or something. None of it makes any sense. And honestly, the total and complete lack of theme is what bumps it all the way down, because the gameplay here is brilliant. Because it's a game where, on our turn, we are putting tiles out on the board and different types of tiles on the edges of the board. The ones on the edges of the board will trigger scoring opportunities based on the things we put in the grid. And so we are trying with every every tile we put down, um, there's these little tchotchkes, uh, shells and turtles and, and drinks. I forget all what they are. But anyway, every tile has a number and a color. And so sometimes I care about getting all the right colors in the right column or all the uh, the correct, uh, you know, a full house in this particular row or diagonally. And so every tile you place, as you put more and more stuff on the outskirts, makes it tougher and tougher to get the perfect tile in the perfect slot. It's really satisfying. This would have come in a lot higher if they could have bothered even t in a, the tiniest way to um, come up with a, a stronger theme implementation. This would have come in much, much higher for me. But as it is, it is um, number 44 on the list is um, Fife. Number 43 is Decorum. 
And um, this is a wonderful cooperative game where players are, we're all roommates trying our best to uh, decorate a house to our own best preferences. We all have secret goals. I want to have a room that's nothing but blue in it, or I need to make sure there's more lighting downstairs than there is upstairs, or whatever it might be. We all have a few secret goals, and every turn we're going to either add new uh, pieces of furniture to the house, or swap furniture, or move furniture. And as we do this, we're trying to figure out, why do you keep moving that um, lamp upstairs? I, I need it downstairs. You keep moving it up there. Why might you do that? Because we're trying to figure out what is it that makes our roommates tick? What do they want to see? And in that way, we're a bunch of passive-aggressive roommates who just can't come right out and say what we want. But the thing is, the beautiful part of this game is every once in a while we have a house meeting where everybody gets to reveal one secret goal. And they're like, oh, that's why you're trying to do that. I'll stop fighting you on this now. It's really clever, comes with a lot of variety with, and also, uh, Publisher Floodgate has now released an app to have infinite replayability because it will randomly generate scenarios for you after you finished all the scenarios that came in the game. It's really, really great. Um, it could have gone higher, I think... Uh, the thing is, honestly, this is not the first time I think this is going to come up on the list. Um, this actually get, made me and Jen argue a little bit. Uh, because sometimes like we got, got frustrated with each other. And um, yeah, that's a sign of it being a sharp design, but it was also kind of a problem too. So, um, number uh, 43 is Decorum. Then we've got, let's see, playlist. What is the command? I think it is Shift-In. Oh, but I need to have the browser selected. Shift in. All right, number 42 is Lacrimosa. And now this would be a surprise for some people because this is a brilliant, wonderful, crunchy, heavy Euro with a really uh, great theme all about players um, after the passing of Mozart, working with the widow of Mozart to help write memoirs by remembering all of our past adventures with the maestro and also co um, contributing to help finish his last uh, Lacrimosa, you know, his final unfinished work. And the gameplay is fantastic. It's really sharp. Um, I liked it a lot, but the only reason, and, and, and honestly, this could make, I'm sure this would make it, in a, this might make it a Jen's top 10 of the year. For me, it comes way low for thematic reasons. Same problem I had with Fife, because I love the theme of this game. The story I just told, I love the story this game tells, but it's completely internally inconsistent. The logic doesn't hold up. Some people just say, oh, there's no theme. There very much is a theme here, but... It's treated very badly. And I think with a few changes, I mean, I had a very, very difficult time. And for me, theme is very important in my Euros. I tend to uh, ignore abstracts, but for this one, the theme was so all over the place and kind of broken, it kind of felt like, well, I'm just going to ignore the theme. I kind of have to ignore the theme because it doesn't make sense that I'm earning money in the present that I am then spending in the distant past. Hey, I made this money um, two days ago, and now I'm going to spend it 20 years ago. And that's just... I, I. I, I don't cotton to that. It's not fair. The production is really good. Um, not great. The production is good. It's solid. Uh, the gameplay design is brilliant. But I just couldn't quite forgive the thematic... The lackadaisical attitude towards thematic verisimilitude. And so that's why, sadly, um, Lacrimosa comes in at 42. Then we got number... Oops, that's the wrong button. Number. Oops, that's the wrong button. Hey, there's some questions that are popping up. Folks, start your questions with question marks so they can go in this queue. So I'll answer the questions after we're done with this list. All right. Number 41 is Starship Captains, which, oh man, this should have ranked much higher for me because I'm a huge Star Trek fan. And this game is a love letter to Star Trek. And it's done really nicely. 
It's got this very cool concept of a queue of your crew where um, you know, you've, I've got my pilots and my engineers or, or my scientists or whatever, and it's a worker placement game. I can um, activate different things, but then after my crew is spent, they go into the ready room. And next round, um, uh, last one out is last one in. First one in is first one out. So you've got this kind of conveyor belt of your workers, and that's a really cool mechanism. I liked it a lot. I love the sense of humor. I love the presentation. I loved everything about this game, other than the fact that kind of kind of like Carnegie, it felt like it, it feels like it needs an expansion because it's really lightweight. Now, I understand in this case, that's appropriate. This game is trying to be a gateway game. This game, I think, could work as well in the same way that Lords of Waterdeep can be a great gateway for Tolkien fans or um, Game of Thrones fans. This is a wonderful gateway game into the hobby for Star Trek or just science fiction in general fans. But I don't want a gateway. I wanted something a little bit heavier, a little bit more crunch going on. Um, so I appreciate what's there. And I mean, it's from CG. I'm sure they're going to start bringing out some expansions that hopefully will ratchet up the uh, depth and complexity a little bit. And if so, I will be on board. But in the meantime, that is number 41, Starship Captains. Then we go on to number 40, Onironauts. Uh, Onironauts. Um, this is basically Cooperative Dixit. Um, and it's Cooperative Dixit that works well for two players. And I love everything about that. Uh, because I, Dixit uh, is... I think the only game in our collection that we keep in spite of the fact that it does not work with two because we've used it to such great effect for so many parties throughout the years. But Dixit can be kind of hard to teach and uh, understanding how the scoring works and how you make strategic decisions in Dixit is a challenge. Um, I Believe me, I've taught it to lots of people all around the freaking world I've played Dixit. Um, Oniranauts has the same core idea of, oh, I've got a bunch of beautiful cards. Hey, Peppermint Stops, thanks for subscribing. Your little uh, um, meeple will appear down there at the bottom of the screen pretty soon and you can start hugging and, and dancing and all kinds of stuff. And don't forget, whisper me if you want the discount on Rotto merch, all the rest of it. Anyway, though, um, all right, let's talk about Onironauts. Right. Okay, so um, every turn you're going to play a card, uh, the players don't pick the word. Uh, word is drawn randomly like happiness. And the thing is, all the cards go into a... Uh, a pile along with one card drawn randomly. Then all the cards are revealed, and it's everybody's job to figure out what was the randomly chosen card. And the more people who can spot that one, the more points we get as a team. And we're under a strict time pressure. Every time we're not finding them, we're running out of time, and it's just sharp. It's better with more players, but it works well with two. And you cannot play Dixit with two. You can. There's some homemade variants. I've tried them. But this is a much better game at two than Dixit ever was. It's almost as good as Codenames with two. But it's also great at a higher player count. Now, we we took it down to the big Thanksgiving get-together, played with a bunch of people there at all kinds of player counts. It's fantastic. It's uh, number 40, Oniranauts. It doesn't come in higher because at the end of the day, it is still a party game. And really, in my heart of hearts, I'm a crunchy Euro fan. But um, it's the best party game of the year as far as I'm concerned. Okay, that was uh, Oniranauts. Number 40. Number 39 is... What is it? Oh, it is um, Vivid Memories. This is a cool, cool game. Now... I was talking earlier about how, okay, Fife has brilliant, puzzly gameplay, but I put it at the bottom of the list because they couldn't even be bothered to try to put a theme on it. Um, Vivid Memories is a really wonderful, abstract, puzzly, crunchy game that does put a theme on it um, because we're trying to remember fragments of memories and we're drafting for them and we're trying to make synapses in our brains. And you could they could have ignored theme altogether, but I love the fact that they didn't. That they did try to put a theme in, which is why this comes in um, much, much higher. In fact, 
Is that right? I feel like this should be higher in general. No, 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 no. No, this is this is fine. Um, yeah, I'm 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 fine with this here. I might bump this up a few more times. I haven't played it for quite a while, so I'm really going based on my vivid memory of vivid memories. But um, the thing that I think a lot of people did not like about this game when it came out is because it, it kind of has an Azul vibe. But this game is probably the most complex pure abstract game that's come out in a long time. And I love that complexity. I love all those little special case rules that creates a much more complex and crunchy situation. Normally, abstract games are very smooth and elegant and simple. This is a crunchy, complex game. That means you might hate it as an abstract game, but I loved it, and I also loved it because they actually bothered to put a good, well-implemented theme in number um, 39, Vivid Memories. Okay, then we go on to number 38, City Trip Bruges. A lovely roll-and-write game. Uh, here's me and Ruel playing with it. And by the way, you can, like I said earlier on the Draw and Write, if you go check out this run-through, you and by, I guess I'll put links for all these in the YouTube video as well. If you go check out this run-through, there's a link. You can download the same piece of paper Ruel and I are playing with, and you can play along with us as you try to plot the best city trip through Bruges while trying not to quote Colin Farrell um, nonstop. But it, it's a great game. Uh, I love Roland Wrights. This one's very satisfying. It's got a very, very cool action selection scheme because there's these cards that come out and you have to pick two things that are adjacent to each other, whether you're moving around. Oh, that's a close-up of Ruel's. He printed it out in black and white. You can print it out in black and white or you can print it out in color like I did. Um, but uh, it's it's just a great roll and write. Very fun. Very satisfying. Play it with me and Ruel. You don't have to take my word for it. That is um, 38, City Trip Rouge. I gotta go faster. And I just hit control in instead of shift in. Shift in. Okay. Um, oh, 37. This is gonna be a shocker. Marrakesh. The latest big box extravaganza from Stefan Feld. Uh, if Feld fan is still live in the chat now, I am sure he is going to rage quit the whole thing. And I'm sorry. It's a great Feld game. The design is wonderful. There's a lot of things I really, really love here. It got bumped down because technical difficulties. My tower. Um, does not work worth a gush gosh darn. Um, and it makes the tower completely superfluous. I have tried well over a hundred tests of my tower with all the shelves rotated in different ways, upside down, swapping them, everything everybody says on BoardGameGeek. And no matter what, without fail, 99 out of a hundred Keshis that can fall through the cube tower, fall through the cube tower, making it pointless. And that is really frustrating for me. Now, I've seen plenty of people online who say, oh, our tower works great if you just do this or the other. I tried it. I tried them all. And um, so the thing is, I got out my um, cubes from Amerigo, and they worked fine. I got out my tower from Amerigo, and they worked better with the Keshis. Uh, but the problem is... Queen Games, at no point, has come out and said, here's what our expected results are. We expect, if you're going to drop six Keshis into the tower, um, on average, two should be held every other turn, or something like that. You know, or was it? I guess it's nine, right? Um, anyway, though. Uh, this is what our expectation is. If they would just say, this is what it was designed to do, then I would use a different tower or different components and I would play it. But as it is right now, because they've okay, total radio silence, and I actually reached out to them and said, hey, here's what it's supposed to be. I'm going to talk about this in my final thoughts video. Could you please let me know what is intended? And they just... 
I don't know if they know. I guess I should try to... If I ever meet Stefan Feld in person, that's going to be the first thing I ask him. Stefan, what percentage of Keshi should be held in the tower? And then I can manipulate my tower to make it actually work. But in the absence of that, it makes me literally uncomfortable to play the game, never knowing if it's working the way it's supposed to work. So, the design is fantastic. It is getting bumped way, way down uh, at the bottom of the list because of that. And in fact, I don't think I'm going to be keeping it. I think I'm going to be donating it to the Dice Tower West Library. Because one thing I should say, my tower works great if you're playing a four-player game, because the more caches you put in, the more likely they are to get stuck. Ah, broke my heart. Uh, the design was great. The components were not, which is why Marrakesh comes in at number gasp 37. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, next up, number 36, Perseverance. Um, from, oh, design superstar... Uh, Dave Turchie. And the interesting thing about Perseverance, it's actually two games in one. It's, it's chapter one and chapter two. Now, first of all, I'm showing a video of chapter two on screen because that's the one we like better. Chapter one was great. It was a tower defense game where we're competing to be the best at protecting our, um, our encampment of survivors on the beach of a, of a dinosaur overrun island. But it was pretty cutthroat as well. You could really make moves that really undercut your opponents. We're like, we're all supposed to survive together. Why is this happening? So... Chapter 1 wasn't great for me in Gen. Chapter 2 was much better because it's, hey, it's 10 years later and we're now exploring the island and we're just going out and trying to find stuff. And we liked it a fair bit more, but I felt like the second chapter needed what the first chapter had, which was a little bit of player scaling. Because right from the get-go, there are so many options in Chapter 2. It's just like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Ah! And you'll after the game goes for a while and you self-select some of your actions you can no longer do, that's great, but it, it's... I would have loved to have seen a little bit of player scaling done in this game. Much like Carnegie... And I forgot to mention, another reason Carnegie makes my top 10, the one of the best player scaling schemes to make a two-player game tighter, one of the best ones I've ever seen. Just done beautifully. It's how Orleans should work. It's how a bunch of games should work. It's how Perseverance Chapter 2 should work. If Perseverance Chapter 2 had worked a bit more like um, the um, player scaling of Carnegie... It might be a keeper, but as it is, as good as the gameplay is, and as excited as I am about 3 and 4, and I love the idea of, hey, a few years from now, chapters 3 and 4 will come out, and then you can play chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 back-to-back as like an epic campaign. I love all of that. I'll probably want to revisit these in a few years when 3 and 4 comes out. But in the meantime, um, 1 and 2, for those reasons, comes in at number... Uh, 36. Okay, then we've got number 35. Oh, uh, Dice Realms from Tom Lehman. Uh, this is a really wonderful game. Uh, you know, it's a Dominion with dice instead of cards because you are crafting dice, uh, rolling them over and over and over again. Every time you play, you got a different collection of special powers you can do, and it's very, very sharp. Now, this ranking is assuming you're playing the uh, solo slash co-op mode that um, Tom released a few months after it came out because as a co-op game, I like it a lot. Uh, it can feel a little luck swingy, and I, I feel like I feel like Tom's worked it out. And even if it feels swingy at times. Everything is balanced. As sw it's going to swing for everybody at one point or another. And the base competitive game, certainly more important than luck, is smart decisions. Same as Dominion. You could get lucky with your card draws in Dominion, but what's more important is how you smartly build your deck. In this game, it's how you build your dice and pay attention to probabilities and what the likelihood is of different dice you know, activating at the same time. But when you play it cooperative, oh man, it's lovely. So um, for the co-op mode, it comes in at number 35, uh, Dice Realms. Then we've got number 34, 
Oh yes, uh, get on board New York and London. I like this one a lot. Uh, this is um, a, not a roll and write, but a flip and write. We are trying to design the best uh, path uh, for our buses through London. If you're New York, if you're playing the two-player side, or two or three-player side, or London, if you're playing the four or five-player side, or the three or four-player side, I forget. But anyway, there's two sides for lower and player, higher player counts. It's really nicely done. It's very, very sharp. I, and I love the presentation of it, you know, the 50s Americana vibe it's got going on. I think I still like Let's Make a Bus Route, the roll and write more. Um, because, I don't know, I mean, it's probably just because of the Asian charm. It's because you can go build a route on the moon in that game. Um, this one plays it a little bit more straight, but it's great. It's absolutely delightful. It would be a total keeper for me if I didn't already have Let's Make a Bus Route, the roll and write game. Uh, because either of them are excellent roll and writes. Or... Flippin' fills. Okay, uh, in this case. So, um, right, so that was a number. All right, so 33 is Village Rails. And now this is a very, very good game. Has kind of the same vibe as that Fife game I talked about earlier, where on your turn, how about I actually play this video? Don't just pause. On your turn, you are going to be drafting cards using, I haven't seen the Small World draft in a long time, it feels like. The whole, hey, um, if you pay for an expensive thing, all your money goes on the cheaper ones, thereby incentivizing people. I, I love that. I loved it in Small World in every game um, that's ever done it since. The uh, Tower Build, Forenza, uh, um, you know, uh, the Century Spice Road. And it's great here, too. And it's better here than in most games, quite frankly, because I, sometimes I feel like it doesn't work that well for two. Here it works fantastically. And it's a very crunchy game, all about grabbing the cards and either putting them on the outskirts to give you ways to score, or in your 4x3 grid, the, those are the things you are actually trying to build. You're trying to build the best rail lines to score based on the things you put on the outskirts. It's great. Um, I, I like it a lot. I prefer Village Green still. Village Green, which is the same basic idea, but instead we're building common gardens. I like that one a little bit more, mostly though because of theme. I'd rather build gardens than rail lines, but it's fantastic. Village rails. Okay. Then we go on. To, I gotta go faster. Number 32, Acropolis. This is a very sharp tile land game. Like this one a lot. Because not only are we um, building tiles and spreading outwards, but we are climbing upwards as well. So it's a three-dimensional tile layer, a very, very tight and tense knife fight of tile drafting that's going on, and wonderfully crunchy and puzzly while still being really simple and smooth and elegant. Um, you know, this right around this area is where Fife should have come in if they had bothered to try to put a theme in as well as. As Acropolis does. And by the same token, Acropolis could have been a themeless abstract if they wanted, but they did a good job uh, because the different types of um, city things you are expanding make sense to the way they score. You know, if you're, you want to put your uh, military on the outskirts of your city, they want to have empty spaces so they can see things coming to score points. All that kind of stuff is nice. Fun, fun game. I think this has made some people's top 10 of the year. I totally get it. Uh, but uh, comes in for me at 32, Acropolis. Then we've got third... Again, I did control in. Oh, shift in. There we go. 31 is uh, Verdant, which is another wonderful, not tile layer, but card layer from Molly Johnson, Sean Stankowitz, 
And the third guy! Ah, this wonderful um, trio of designers. I've loved everything they've done, and this is one of the best things they've done. And I really, I can always remember Molly Johnson's name because I work hard not to say Molly Shannon. And I know one of their names is Stankowitz, but I do not remember all of them. But uh, they are such a great trio of designers making wonderful, fun, crunchy, puzzly, fast paced, simple elegant games, and this is one of their best. Uh, because your cards, you are either putting down the... Uh, pl- you're drafting... and It's it's another really interesting take on... What do you call it? What I talked about earlier um, with uh, Draw and Write. The um, Entwined Drafting. Oh, thank you, by the way, uh, for the subscription, Dan Spice. Thank you very much. Unlocking more and more stuff. Yay. Anyway, um, because... There are two cards and a tile. And every turn, you're going to grab a tile and one of those two cards. So that rates really fun, interesting decisions, too. That, again, supplants Cascadia. As far as I'm concerned, Verdant, Verdant is a Cascadia killer. Uh, I don't think it'll ever quite get as much attention as Cascadia because it was such a monumental breakthrough hit. But um, still, uh, make mine Verdant. Number 31. Okay. Then we go on to number 30. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pocketmaster Builder from Wayman Ling. Fast becoming one of my favorite new designers. This is just a deck of cards and a few cubes, and yet it is so rich and satisfying, this city-building game, where on your turn, you are going to put uh, cards out onto the board, uh, not to build the building, but instead to create the worker placement spots. You put a card out, that becomes a thing that somebody could build you know, um, uh, later on. But the important thing is, by um, putting that card out, you create worker placement spots, and you can place your workers right then to get rewards that you will use on future turns to build that or something else. It's super sharp, a lot of game in a tiny, tiny package. I really respect that. Doesn't quite rank as high as Wei Min Ling's uh, Walking in Provence and Walking in Murano, but it's still fantastic. Uh, Definitely something of uh, people who love, who are impressed as I am by really crunchy, fun, puzzly games with a lot of depth in just a deck of cards. Really impressive. Number 30, Pocket Master Builder. Number 29 is, oh, Dead Reckoning. And by the way, I should say, this is assuming Dead Reckoning with the cooperative mode. Without the co-op mode, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be caught dead reckoning with this game. I would not play it because it's a 4X piracy on the high seas game where we're trying to mess with each other. But as soon as you implement that co-op mode, it becomes so good. Jen loved this game. Uh, this is probably the longest game that uh, we played this year that she really loved. Uh, because sometimes games that can go for two or two to three hours as a two-player game, that's often a bit too much for us. But it wasn't here. I mean, this thing is enthralling from start to finish because of designer John D. Clare's, as always, excellent, wonderful... Um, what do you call it? Uh... What's the word? Oh, uh, the the card crafting system, where you put multiple see-through cards together to make a new card and program. The cards represent your crew. Your crew gets better over time by giving them new skills. And it's just a really fun, solid, cooperative game. It worked really nicely. You can check out my run-through to see how. But um, I'll just stop right there, because we're burning daylight. Let's move on to uh, number 28, Endless Winter. I have to admit, folks, for the longest time, I thought this was going to be in my top 10. From designer Stan Kardonsky, it's a really great fusion. Probably, to date, the best fusion anybody has ever done of worker placement plus deck building. A lot of games have done it now. This is the best of the best. Why doesn't it come in higher? Solely because when I went back, when Jen and I went back and played it again after we finally got the final version, I don't know. I'm rolling out more and more every year. I mean, it's a great game. It's definitely a keeper. I mean, it's... 
Where is it? It's right there, right up on my shelf, right up there. And that's where it's going to stay uh, because we, we really do love it. I mean, oh, by the way, these are all great games uh, just because they came in lower. I mean, I, I should say, by the way, folks, I am not talking today about the games we didn't like. I've got about another, I don't know, what have I got? I've got a list of like another 30 or so games that are like, okay, we're happy to get rid of this game. This is not a game we want to keep for reasons X, Y, or Z. I'm not talking about any of those today. Uh, that will be the monthly ramble in the month of January where I do my yearly, hey, here's where all the games we got rid of and why. So uh, for folks who are members here on YouTube or back on Patreon, you'll be able to see that ramble if you want to know the games we got rid of and why. But anyway, uh, back to uh, positivity. This is a great game. It only doesn't come in higher because... While you can ignore it, there's no getting around the fact that a sizable portion of success in this game can do with area control. And I am finding more and more that I enjoy area control, even fairly kids' glove area control. This is kids' glove area control, is what I would call it. Players are not really mean to each other. Uh, we're just kind of you know jockeying for position. Hey, if we tie, we both get the reward. That's all very nice. But even still... I mean, my top no, nothing in my top 10 had area control in it. I don't need area control to be excited. You know, that's not true. Maybe one of the uh, one or two of the games... No, no, no. Even, even in the game that has 10 games in one, there was no area control. So, um, I just don't... I mean, anytime... Oh, well, there's a big portion of the game is me trying to think about, well, you're doing really well there. Should I take that away from you? Uh, and I know you feel really happy that you've got it, and we're about to have a... Was it the solstice or the eclipse? And I can just rush in at the last second and mess with you. And it's like, uh, it's fine. And again, this is a kid's glove one, but I'm just getting less and less interested in that kind of stuff. And that's what keeps Endless Winter down um, you know, in, in the, in the mid-tier uh, as number... Where was it? Oh, number 28. And then number 27, same thing for Federation. Federation is freaking brilliant. I cannot stress just how amazing Federation is. Uh, it is a worker placement game where we are ambassadors trying to implore the Intergalactic Federation to help us out. And we do that by interacting with the senators and the planets they come from. And there's so many cool things going on. And it's a wonderful Technicolor um, uh, presentation. And I love that, hey, it's also a love layer to Star Trek, but not the adventure action part, but the economics, politics part. The Federation. We're working in the Federation. Or the Galactic Senate, if you want to think in Star Wars terms. So I love that. Again, like Endless Winter, there's a, a healthy dollop of area control. Um, and it's fine. Again, it's kids' gloves area control. But every worker you place um, is basically contributing to three different tugs, tug of wars that you're engaging. And again, at a higher player count game, I don't think I'd mind so much because there are fewer. there's fewer opportunities for me to say, oh, you really need this law to pass, don't you? Okay, I can't let that happen. I got to put my worker here. It's my most powerful worker. Boom, I've just ruined your chance of that law, which is really something you've been working on for half the game. I, I, but, the, but the gameplay is great. It's a keeper. And it's just, Jen and I, we have to know, okay, well, we're going to be a little bit more knives out than we might normally want to be in this game. And again, I cannot stress enough. This is nothing like El Grande. This is kids' glove area of work, you know, area control, but it's still there. So that's what keeps it a little bit lower than it would otherwise be, because this otherwise could have been a top ten of the year because of all the really wonderful, wonderful um, uh, mechanisms in it. Okay, then we've got number twenty-six, Pessoa. Oh, this is lovely. I really like this one a lot. It is a worker placement game where um, this is the tightest worker placement game of all time. 
strictly speaking, on every turn, when it's your turn to place a worker, you don't have any choice. There's only one place to put it. But that's only if you're placing a certain type of worker. There, You have your own workers, and as a general rule, there's usually only one, sometimes two places on the board where you could send your own workers. But instead, you could use the communally controlled Pessoa worker, and if you choose to use that one instead, you can go to all kinds of... You can do almost anything you want. But to activate the Pessoa worker, you have to spend resources. And this game is so tight that often you're like, well, I, I, I really want to do this, but I don't want to um, spend the resources, the imagination, because we are literally kind of figments of the imagination of a world-famous poet. Um, Portuguese poet, if I recall correctly, or was he Spanish? I do not remember. I remember at the time thinking, oh, it was all very cool. We're trying to help Pessoa write his greatest works. Uh, we're having him travel all around, and if we spend our imagination or our... our our psychic energy, we can move him and he can go do anything we want. But otherwise, we only have access to very, very limited options. And so that's a really, really cool twist on worker placement. It's really sharp. Liked it a lot. Loved the storytelling, loved the setting, loved everything about number 26, Pessoa. Then we got number 25, The King of Monster Island. Oh, this is great. This is a really fun, cooperative game. And it's interesting. I mean, uh, first time Jen and I played, we were like, okay, this is fine. But we played it on the, um, I think, just one level up from the intro level. And we thought, this is a little bit too easy. This is a very, a very pandemic-style game where we are kaiju monsters trying to defeat the uber-kaiju monster that's stomping around on an island. And at the center of the island is a volcano. And every round, we drop the, the super monster bad guy dice through the volcano, and that determines where they're going to move to, where they're going to strike, and all of that. And then we, like King of Tokyo, because this is a co-op sequel to King of Tokyo, then on our turns, we do Yahtzee dice rolling to activate our monsters and run around and try to help each other or fight the super monster. It's really sharp. When we start playing at the high difficulty levels, we realized, oh, this game can get crunchy. This game can get really interesting and challenging in a fun, fun way. And, um, you know, dropping stuff down that volcano never gets old. This does not eclipse the loop at all, uh, because the loop is still much, much heavier and more crunchy. But this is a... I could totally see this being a great gateway game to play that Jen and I can enjoy, too, if we play at the higher difficulty levels. Number 25, King of Monster Island. Number 24 is Paperback Adventure. Uh, apologies, this is a very old video from my prototype. The final game looks much, much nicer with really cool components. But this is a... It's designed as a solo, but it has a good co-op. It has two different good co-op modes, actually, um, where we are basically trying to build words. And we use wor build words to either attack... Uh, you know, The strength of our word, if we display the word one way, can be a bunch of attack strength to fight all the bosses, the fantasy monsters we're trying to fight. If we display them the other way, they can be giving us lots of armor and magic to protect ourselves. And so, I love that splaying mechanism, going one way or the other. And, um, you know, it's a really good deck-building word-style game. Uh, you know, like Paperback before it, if I had to pick one, I'd probably want to play this over Paperback. And I, Jen, I very much enjoyed it. It's got so many fun little kind of Easter egg elements to it. Really great sense of humor. Very, very sharp design. Um, and you know, for a guy who said years ago, man, I hate Scrabble and everything associated with it, somehow uh, Tim Fowers Games continues to find ways to get me more interested in uh, word games with Paperback Adventure. Number 24. Then we got number 23, Beer and Bread. I just did a run-through for this this month. This is, I think, maybe Scott Alm's greatest design to date. I said that at the time. 
because I think I like it more than Galaxy or Tiny Epic Galaxy. I think I probably still like Tiny Epic Defender more than this. So maybe it's more like his second best design. But seeing as how most people don't like Tiny Epic Defenders, then for most people, I'd say yes, it's his best. It's a two-player only card drafting game where we're using multi-use cards to um, brew beer and bake bread. And the thing is, we have very, very strict, limited um, storage for all the stuff we're harvesting to be able to bake our bread. But um, and if we ever try to harvest stuff and we don't have enough room for it, it doesn't the excess stuff doesn't get thrown away or go back to supply. It goes to your opponent. So I love that form of a waste not, want not. This is another positive interaction between players kind of game. But I also love the fact that um, every other round, in the first round, we play this very much like Sushi Go or Seven Wonders. I pick a card for myself, do the thing, give the rest to you. If I use any of my cards to harvest resources, which is a big part of the game, when we go to the next round, the second year, I all the cards that I set aside to harvest... I get to keep those. And suddenly they become the basis of the cards I use in the second year. So imagine Seven Wonders where, hey, um, every turn, when I keep that one card for myself and hand the rest over to you, depending on what I do with that card, I could keep that card for the future as well and not have to give it up. Really clever. Nice presentation with wonderful art from Michael Menzel. Number 23, Beer and Bread. Then there's number 22, Encyclopedia. A great dice worker placement game. Big, long, crunchy. We are doing all the research out in the field um, and preparing our notes to be able to contribute to the world's first encyclopedia. At its heart, it is a dice worker placement game, which very much like Twa, I keep pulling my ear out of uh, my ear. Uh, much like Twa before it, I... Uh, all right, all right. Much like Twa before it, at the beginning of my turn, I roll my dice, and I could use these dice as workers uh, to do various things on the board, research, you know, travel, uh, you know, preparations for my final thesis, that kind of stuff. But um, on my turn, I could pick any of my dice and do a worker space slot, or I could pick one of yours. Uh, this is a game where we have a communal collection of dice. It's just, I rolled some of them and you rolled some of them. And the interesting thing is, after I roll my dice, if I really want to hold on to a given die, I hope you don't take it, then I get to place, I get to assign a value to each die. And um, so if there's a die that I really don't want you to take, I can put it over here that says, oh, you can take it from me, but you'll have to pay a lot. If there's a die I don't care about, I can put it over in this other bucket where, oh, I don't care. Anybody can take this die because i got to put something there. I've got to put something in the one that'll give me more money, the one that'll give me more um, fame, etc., etc. And it's a brilliant system. I like it a lot. A really great... A lot of people would think this, like Twa, is a very aggressive game where people are stealing from each other all the time, but it's not the case. Those are never your dice to begin with. It's just that uh, you happen to roll some dice that you have some attachment with, but um, and you specify whether they're going to be cheap or expensive if other people want them, um, but they were never your dice to begin with, baby, and it's a really sharp, fun, heavy euro. Okay. Next up, 21. Oak. This is another great worker placement game. Uh, we are druids trying to gather resources and climb the great tree and build housing for our fellow druids and activate special powers and fulfill recipes. And it's a worker placement game driven by the cards in your hand. The cards you have in your hand at this time say what you can do. Um, and then you go out and do them. But the thing that really makes this game special is this is not the first game where you can upgrade your workers. But the thing is, when you get enough resources to upgrade your workers and turn them into Elder Druids, which gives them super cool 
uber epically overpowered powers. The problem is they can only use their overpowered powers if you put them in certain places. And if you put them in other places, they're just regular druids. So all of a sudden, I've got these super powerful things, but only if I use them in certain really restrictive ways. And that is fun. That is a very, very cool system that just works. That plus the restriction of, oh, I can only activate based on the cards that are in my hand right now, combined with the fact that I really want to... It's just great. It's got great presentation. I played with a bunch of people at a convention. I played it with Jen. Everybody loved it. It's number 21. Oak. Okay. Then we go on to number 20. Teletum. Teletum, honestly could have almost made my personal top 10. Because the dice drafting in this game is so brilliant. It's multi-use dice. You roll the dice at the game around, put them around this rondelle thing, and whichever die you take, hey, you're taking the die for its value and for its color and for the the wedge of the rondelle that it's in. So they're all their multi-use. And that is fantastic. I absolutely love the dice system here. Especially the idea of, hey, over time, I can upgrade wedges so that wedge, that die in that space, is more powerful for me than it is for you. But will you take it before I can get it. I love everything about that. This um, dice drafting is totally next-gen, modern-day, cutting-edge, beautiful design. And I love it. Now, the rest of the game is, hey, you use those dice to get resources to do stuff that feels straight out of Hansa Teutonica. It even looks like Hansa Teutonica. It is the most boring, bland, beige, European, Renaissance-era map you have ever seen in board games. And I don't blame anybody who looks at that and says, ah, this doesn't really fire my imagination. It didn't fire Jen's imagination. And the reason it comes in at number 20 more than anything else is because Jen just couldn't get into it. I thought it was brilliant. Wonderful, puzzly, lots of Gonshon Clever-esque um, you know, combo turns that can just fire off at a moment's notice. Very satisfying. But I will admit, it's just not the most exciting thing these days to very slowly walk around Europe and drop off your guild houses in various places and slowly work your way around. Um, you know, If the game was more about teleporting around, that would help a lot. If the map was a bit nicer, it would have helped Jen a lot. But um, you know, it's, it's like... It's got a really, like I said, next generation, you know, gaming 5.0 wonderful action selection mechanism that is tethered to the rest of the game that feels like it kind of came out eight years ago. And so I get it. I thought it was great, but I'm 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 not putting it as high as I personally would because all of this list is a reflection of me and my wife's taste, which is why Teletum comes in at 20. Then we got 19. Okay, and this is oh Sabika. Sabika should be in the top 10, quite frankly. It's great. This is about um, carving poetry into the walls of the Alhambra while building the Alhambra. Great, um, uh, you know, uh, a great evocative theme. Really, really love the world we're in. Wonderful, super heavy, crunchy, triple Rondell game. Rondell within Rondell within Rondell. And people might say, well, didn't, um, didn't uh, Vladimir Suki do that? 10 years ago with Shipyards? Not like this, he didn't. One, some of the best Rondell gameplay I've ever seen. Like I said, this should easily be in my top 10 of the year. There is one reason it is at number 19. It's production. Um, all the text on all the cards is insanely hard to read, and there's a lot of text on a lot of the cards. Uh, a lot of times, the icons are very difficult to read, too, because it's a gigantic board, and if they're far away from you, you're like, I literally... It was... I have not had to stand up more and saying, what is that over there? Let me stand up and reach all the way across the table and get it so I can and get it close with my 52-year-old eyes before I can read all the text on this. It's beautiful. I mean, I'm sure it's authentic to the text of the Alhambra, but it is very difficult to read. And it made the game 
I mean, it's has nothing to do with the gameplay. The gameplay here is all of it is 100% next level, top 10 material. Um, but yeah, it was just harder to play than it should have been because of the, the font. And so that's what brings it down, sadly, to number 19. Breaks my heart. Great, great game, though. If you've got better eyes than me, if, you, if I still had my 20-year-old eyes, I probably wouldn't have minded at all, quite frankly. But I got 52-year-old eyes now. Okay, we're going to 18. Space Station Phoenix is fantastic. A game, another game where humanity's got their crap together. We're in a positive, upbeat view of the future where we're doing so well. The aliens have decided to come and visit us because they recognize that we're worthy. And so we have to build space stations because they can't survive on the planet. Um, and so we have to build space stations made to the specifications of the different types of aliens who come. And uh, it's a worker placement game with so many wonderful things. I love the idea that, hey, I can use my worker placement spots or yours if you get a little bonus for it. Always a big fan of that. Um, and I love... This game has so... More than just about any other game I've played this year, it has so much baked-in variability, so many different tiles that you can to build on your space station that is creating an engine. It's interesting. The first half of this game is worker placement. We're doing a lot of worker placement to grab all the resources we need to get the tiles to build our space station. And the bigger our space station gets, the less we want to do worker placement, and the more we want to run the engine that is our space station. So the game pivots halfway through, and that's really, really cool. But the other thing that's cool is the majority of the resources we get to build our space station is by ripping apart our worker placement board and converting all these satellites we have that are our worker placement spots into raw materials to build the um, satellites for the aliens. And I love love that idea that over the course of the game, I've got fewer and fewer of my own worker placement spots, which means I have to go to yours more and more often, which benefits you. But that means, hey, that means I, pro I don't have as much of my own stuff, but I've got a better engine to run. And it's a really great thing. The game kind of grows and pivots and twists. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Not the greatest looking game. You know, it's production you know, bits are, are, are okay, but um, the gameplay is phenomenal. Number... What was that? That was number 17. No, that was number 18. Space Station Phoenix. Then... Oh, this one surprised me. Um, number 17 is Solar Sphere. One that probably not a lot of people have heard of. I covered it was on Kickstarter. I think it's only just now starting to get to backers. So it's officially a 2022 game. It came to us. Jen and I played it. And I was reminded all over again just how much I love this. Now, here's the deal. I kind of talked about this um, in Teletum a little bit. You know, the kind of idea that well, hey, you know, a major part of Teletum just feels like stuff we've done before. It doesn't, you know, doesn't really feel fresh. That honestly, there is pretty much nothing in Solar Sphere that is particularly fresh. This is a dice worker placement game. Every round, I've got three dice. I roll them. I get to activate them to do different things on all these again satellites. Interestingly, that I'm putting dice on to activate them as we're trying to build a Dyson sphere around a star, um, while also dealing with other stuff. There are aliens that are marauding us, and there's an underlying question: Are they the bad guys, or are we the bad guys, and all that kind of stuff? Um, you know, the uh, satellites are changing their function. You can manipulate your dice. Uh, you can get special powers when um, you start. Um, Align yourself with the different factions, including the aliens. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff here. I mean, actually, well, the thing is, this game does absolutely nothing wrong. It does everything perfectly. It is a perfect distillation of dice worker placement with dice manipulation. And a big part of that, and I and I went back and I watched my final thoughts, and I was reminded just how surprised I was at the time. And then when we got out, we're like, yep, this still holds. 
This feels to me, in some ways, kind of like Castles of Burgundy, which is in my top 10 games of all time. It's not. It's different. Uh, there's dice activation, but it's done in a different way. But the thing is, I'm always compl- uh, complaining how board game publishers really mess up two things with dice activation or dice worker placement. Ensure your game equally values low and high results. Like, Encyclopedia doesn't. Encyclopedia, you're better off getting higher dice as a general rule. But in this game, low dice are just as good as high dice. Uh, it just means you can do different things with them. So, I love that. And then, I also love, in, in Castles of Burgundy, if you just don't like the dice you've got, you can convert them into workers that you can use later for you know manipulating dice as you need be. I always thought, at the very least, do something as simple as that. That if I do not like my dice and I don't have a use for them, I always have an okay action I can do. You have an okay action here. You can create more drones, which is basically like the little worker tiles. Uh, that could let you manipulate stuff in the future. But here's the deal. Imagine Castles of Burgundy, where those little workers could be used to manipulate dice and about a half a dozen other really cool, powerful actions as well. And in that way, this game improves on Castles of Burgundy, the greatest Steffenfeld design of all time. And any game that actually improves on Steffenfeld beats him at his own game. Ranks pretty high. And yeah, Solar Sphere is that. It's great. I love it. It's number 17. Number 16 is Now or Never, the latest uh, big box adventure Euro extravaganza from um, Ryan Lockett. It looks great. The narrative is wonderful. The puzzly nature of um, rebuilding uh, the city while meshing that, spending an equal amount of time trying to um, travel around the world and get the resources you need to rebuild the city. I love how there's basically two completely different games that are welded together here quite nicely. And now you can say all of that about his previous big box game, um, Near and Far. I think Near and Far is better because I love the city building here. I like the adventuring stuff. In Near and Far, I I loved both halves. I loved both games, the worker placement game and the adventure game. In this game, I love one half, the city building, and I like the adventuring. Uh, Because the adventuring here does spend a little bit more time just traveling around, slowly doing stuff. I love that in... um, Near and far, hey, I could. I'm stretching. I was trying to reach as far as I possibly could, but then I have to snap back home. Um, you know, and there's like this flow, very much like top ten of the year, um, Guild of Merchant Explorers. If now or never had that, this could have been in the top ten as well. And then the other thing, Ryan, buddy, I love you. Please stop relying on the crutch of dice rolling. I know you love them. And it's fine here. The dice uh, is not overwhelming. If it doesn't go your way, you can manipulate it. But I, I'm still, this is my least favorite thing about the game. So there's a couple of things that keep this out of my top 10. But hey, 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 it's not too bad. It's number 16. Number 15. We are talking about, uh, oh, Zapotec. Wow. Imagine a, a T-style game. This game is from Publisher Board and Dice. And really, I wish it kind of started with a T. Um, because it's probably the best tea game there is. But it starts with a Z, Zapotec. But imagine your Zulk in the Mind Colonies, your Teotihuacans, your Tawantin Suyus, your uh, Tekenus, your any of those games. Imagine any of those games. I mean, they're all different, they're all unique, but they all kind of have the same feel. You know, ancient world, um, sepia-toned boards, really dry, crunchy Euro goodness, right? Imagine any of them with any of their mechanisms. And now imagine any of those, you can get all the full sense and scale and scope of all of the drama of starting out small and building up big, but instead of it taking two hours, you can get it done in 20 minutes start to finish. Zapotec is a freaking miracle of design. I've never seen anything quite like it. It feels like a super-duper rapid-fire uh, you know, tea game. 
And that is something very, very special. Uh, and in part, it's rapid fire because it's simultaneous action selection. I love that. Uh, with the card reveals, it's got the same initiative system as Gloomhaven. And it's just beautiful. I think it's like five rounds of card playing. And yet, in, in just those five rounds, you do so much with, oh, that engine building with the grit. Everything about this game is great. All I can think of now is, how did this not make the top ten? Uh, but it comes in at number 15, because oh, there are 14 games that are better, including number 14, Discordia, another beautiful, beautiful dice worker placement game from Bern Eisenstein. And um, this is really sharp. It does uh, dice worker placement in a really fun and interesting way. But what's really uh, special about this game, this is another one where, hey, we are the governor or whatever. We're, we're the person who runs these provincial Roman outposts. And we are trying to build up our city um, to the best of our ability, not for our own glory, not for riches, but for the betterment of our people. Every round, new people show up. New immigrants from Rome want to show up, coming to get here for a better life. And it's our job to literally find jobs for everybody. And that's how you win the game. And I love that. I love that a few years ago in Anno 1800. Anytime a game where, oh, it's not about my own glory. My glory comes only uh, through the process of improving people's lives. I always just find myself drawn to that. And then on top of that, if it's a really cool, fun, very quirky and very crunchy and uh, fun playing dice worker placement game. Yeah, you better believe I'm there, which is why Discordia gets number 14. And then number 13 is Founders of Teotihuacan, another great polyominal tile layer and a wonderful worker placement game. The trick of the worker placement is, hey, there's uh, you're not blocked out by other people, but you want to go to a space first because if you're the first person to a space, you get a nice big juicy bonus for whatever the action is, harvesting resources, building stuff, whatever. But you also, you want to be last because if I go to a worker space and spot after you, I get to use my worker and your worker. And all the workers are there. The more a given spot gets visited, the stronger it gets. And that is one of the coolest new ideas I've seen for worker placement. And then on top of that, I love the uh, polyomino gameplay too. Because most polyomino games, you're trying to pack things in as tightly and efficiently as possible. But in this game, you are incentivized to keep your stuff all apart because uh, the more you put tiles together, that's less space you have to store all the resources that you need to build more stuff. Uh, and then on top of that, it's got this very cool idea that um, there's this architect that's moving around and you're trying to build with the because you can only build where the architect is currently. So I want to build in the south. I can't build there now. The architect's not going to be there for a while. But now is the perfect time for me to use this worker because I get a triple bonus because I'm the third person to go there. Cool stuff. Beautiful game. Loved it. Number 13. Founders of Teotihuacan. Oh my gosh. Number 12 is... Um, oh, oh, oh. It's Marvel Remix. And actually, this is a tie. You could go with Marvel Remix, which is basically Marvel superheroes cross-pollinated into fantasy realms. Or you could go with um, the other one, Star Trek Missions. And um, either because both of these improve on fantasy realms, both in different ways. I like the Marvel one the best. I think uh, Marvel Remix is the best iteration on um, fantasy realm style gameplay we've seen to date because it is the most thematic. I love how it tells stories that feel like they are right out of the comic books and it's just so smoothly implemented. Plus, I just love make my Marvel. I love Marvel more than anything else. My wife liked Star Trek Missions more because she doesn't care about Marvel comics. Star Trek Missions is the heaviest, crunchiest of the three games in the fantasy realms um, line. 
do I need to explain what Fantasy Realms is? I don't think I do. I think everybody knows it by now. These are basically just, hey, Fantasy Realms in Star Trek or Fantasy Realms in Marvel. I like both of them more. I like Marvel better. Jen likes Star Trek missions better. Um, honestly, I like Red Rising over all three of these, but Red Rising has a big box. These come in small boxes, so they win because I'm always out of space on the wall. So anyway, tied for number 12 is Marvel Remix or Star Trek Missions, depending on which you prefer, theme-wise, because they're both great, and they're both improvements over the original. Okay, then I forgot who it was. Whoever asked, what was my number 11? Stars of Icarios. And honestly, if you'd asked me a couple months ago, I would have been sure it would have made it in my top 10. Uh, after I played it a lot, I played this for probably 15 hours solo uh, uh, during um, a week or two while my wife was on the road. And so she wasn't here. I just played it a lot solo. I fell in love with it. For a while, I thought it might be my number one game of the year. Uh, the more I played it, there uh, the, the only real complaint I have about it is my wife's super complaint. And it's my wife's problem with the game that keeps it out of my top 10. Uh, and it has to do with the way the ships move around because this is basically Gloomhaven crossed with X-Wing attack miniatures dogfighting game. Crossed, by the way, with adventure gaming from Seventh Continent. And that is a great three-ray cross. You can watch my final thoughts where I wax rhapsodic about how it doesn't do it doesn't do the dogfighting as well as X-Wing miniatures. It doesn't do the adventuring as well as Seventh Continent. It doesn't do the overall structure as well as Gloomhaven. All three of those games do their own things better, but this game combines all three of those to where this game is greater than the sum of its parts. And I love it to freaking pieces. Um, I It is a bit frustrating to deal with the enemy movement because I'm constantly like, wait, okay, where's it going to move? I'm not really quite sure. Oh, crap, no, it should move over there. It's weird, too, because the movement rules are so much simpler than Gloomhaven, but and yet it's still, it's just got kind of this weird way it did it to simplify and streamline, and if anything, I think maybe it simplified and streamlined the alien movement a little bit too much because it's kind of wonky. That was my only problem with it. But even still, I would put it in the top 10 because I, I could live with it. I don't mind it too much. Jen, her problem was she fundamentally cannot play this game. There goes my ear again. It's impossible for her to play uh, in the same way it is impossible for her to use a GPS when it is set to true north. Jen needs to use a GPS where the GPS rotates around her perspective. She cannot, when she was trying to figure out what action am I going to do? Am I going to bank left? Am I going to bank right? It's very difficult for me to say because I my ship is facing me. And uh, I cannot tell which way it will go unless I literally hold the card up and move it. And, and for her, it was very frustrating to play just logistically because she could not get her head around how the ships move because the world doesn't revolve around her. Um, if And we, t we joked at the time about, hey, maybe a lazy Susan would fix this for her because she could just rotate the entire board when she's trying to figure out, oh, okay, I'll move this ship, I'll rotate. Yeah, that and fine. But so... It kept it out of the top 10 because it was so challenging for her to play. But I I think I think the game is absolutely fantastic. You know, she would have had the same problem playing asteroids back in the day. You know, once your ship is rotated, um, you know, facing um, down to the bottom left, and you're like, oh, what way is counterclockwise and clockwise? It's all flipped in my head, and boom, I got hit by an asteroid. And so that's frustrating for her. This was frustrating for her. And it's too bad because I love how well it pulls. It really pulls the room together. It's number 11. Oh my goodness. Wow, that was a lot. That was, um, geez, Louise. Oh my gosh, there's still 70 of you here. I thought I would have chased you all away with that. Let's see if there are any new questions that have shown up. Oh my goodness, there are quite a few questions. You know what, folks? This is empty. 
I just talked. What? How long have I been talking nonstop? I have been talking nonstop for two and a half hours. Hold on. I will literally be right back. I'm just going to go fill this up because my throat is fire and not in the good way. Let me pop my ear out. More questions, please. We'll start with a question mark. We'll be right back. Um, righty. Where is that? Ooh. Right back. I'm back. I'm back. I've gotten some water. And we're going to get a special guest appearance from Jen because she's making me some honey water. In the meantime, just that. And stretching my legs. Oh my gosh, I didn't realize my legs were so far asleep. Anyway, questions. Alrighty, so we're going to do a bit more questions. And then I've got another list. <sighs> Boy, I thought I would have been done by now. But I'm still going to do that other list. It's my wish list of the games I still need to play. Because remember, this was my preliminary top 44. It will change after I play another 20 games or so. And I'm going to go through that list. But let's do some questions first. Best Azul game? Azul Queen's Garden. Hands down. I have not played Chocolate. I don't think it changes enough, though, to supplant Queen's Garden. It is by far the best of the best. Okay. Have I played the final copy? Yes. Uh, you know by now, if you're watching, yeah, I did get a copy of it. We played it. I haven't played with any of all the cool extra stuff, though. That all looks really, really cool. I mean, like I said, it didn't come in as high as I originally thought, but it's just... oh. I just don't need area control in my life as much as I used to be much more accepting of it, basically. Okay. Thoughts on Lacrimosa and Heat. I have not played Heat. I do not care about Heat. Heat is of no great interest to me. Because I don't like car racing, and I generally am not a big fan of racing games. I played Flam Rouge, and I thought that was really, really cool. Didn't keep it, though. Just because it was cool, it was very cool, but not cool enough to overcome my innate distaste for racing games. And this is basically Flam Rouge 2.0 with more cool ideas thrown in, right? So I will say, though, remember, folks, I'm streaming live today. I am going to uh, put the top 10 as a standalone video on YouTube tomorrow, and there will be an additional element that you're not seeing today. I will be editing into the top 10 the number one for um, Amy and Maggie, for Ryan, for Ruel, for Shay, for Paulo, for uh, Grant, for... Who am I forgetting? Oh, and for Kimberly. Seven number ones. One of these seven people listed Heat as their number one game of the year. The answer may surprise you. Um, and Lacrimosa, I talked about that. It was in the 44. Okay. Uh, what's next? Would Stars of Akarios be number one if you didn't get rid of it? Well, I, I, you probably... Uh, I, I just talked about it. Stars of Akarios, I think, is as a solo game, it is probably my number one game of the year. Uh, just flat out. I had so much fun playing solo, but I am not a solo gamer. I do not want to play games solo. I want to play with my wife, and it was just so frustrating for her. And as she wanted to like it, she gave it, she was really game for it, but that's why I didn't quite make the top 10. But yeah, I think it is probably the best, certainly the best solo game experience I had of the year. And one of the best game experiences I had personally while I was playing it solo, and I did not have Jen's frustration. Um, favorite holiday side dish? Uh, the whipped cream you put on the pumpkin pie. Therefore, the pumpkin pie, I suppose. Lacrimosa and Unconscious Mind seem to be th similar thematically. Um, am I, th am I, am I think so? How do they compare our gameplay? Are they similar thematically? Lacrimosa is, I don't think they're, they're similar in that they're very unique and interesting and fun, different themes, but Unconscious Minds is, I am literally a therapist 
trying to help patients while also in my off hours hanging out with Freud and talking about my patients to get better ideas. Ah, thank you, honey pie. This is a big thing of warm, delicious honey water. Actually, I don't like honey at all. Honey's Mm. the best thing in the world. Yep, do not like that taste, but like the way it feels. (laughs) Oh, there's a little bit of lemon in there? Okay. Uh, flavored honey. Lemon flavored. Thank you, honey pie. Um, that's going to help. Alrighty. Oh, that does help. Oh, man, that's so much better than just the water. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, one game like, well, is Unconscious Mind. Lacrimosa is... I mean, okay, I guess they're, they both have the concept of hanging around in a cafe talking, but... That theme comes through an unconscious mind. That theme is completely abstracted away in Lacrimosa. You do not feel that at all, and that's the fundamental thing that makes that hurts Lacrimosa in my mind, that it had a cool theme that they do not follow through on. They do not make the gameplay fit the theme. They do not change the theme to fit the gameplay. It's literally one of the biggest schisms I've ever seen between theme and gameplay in a modern era, and I didn't like it for that reason. Gameplay-wise, they are very different as well. Very different. Um, Yeah, one is a worker placement game. The other is a multi-use card game. So no, no. Uh, And honestly, if you like one, I think you'd like the other two. I think they both scratch the same kind of wonderful, heavy, uh, crunchy Euro itch. And if you're not, if you don't get as hung up by weird mismatched themes as I do... I, then Lacrimosa could be a top 10 of the year, and I'm sure it is for many people. All right. Um, let's see here. Who am I and what have I done with Rado? Um, oh, I, what, what was I? Oh, I, I bet you Paulo said that when I was talking about Marrakesh. Hopefully I explained my feelings about it. I have more feelings about it too. I'm pretty sure I talked about those when I, when I covered it in the roundup as well. But yeah, it's just in the same way Jen just could not get into the swing of things in the Ra- and Akarios because of the the difficulty of rotational representation. I could not get into Marrakesh knowing with every single turn, I just don't know if the game is working or if the game is broken. I don't know if it's balanced. It just, just frustrated me to no end. And I just... The gameplay was great. Fell did a fantastic job. I really like the ideas. Jen loved the game. Jen just fundamentally didn't care. She said, okay, let's just... Forget about the tower. We don't need it. Let's just each reveal and just put them out there and just go right to the draft. Because we might as well, because the tower was... Again, our tower is completely superfluous. But it just was very frustrating for me. Okay. Um, Oh, yep, and there we go. That was, yeah, Marrakesh. Yep. Understandable, understandable. Uh, Tower opinion in Gollum. It feels like you can cheat by choosing where to drop. You know, I think... Don't they say something about that? Don't do that. Don't they say something like that in the rule books? If you are afraid that your opponent... I mean, actually, yes, that's right. That is why the active player does not get to drop the cubes, right? Is that... was it, Or the, not the cubes, the marbles. I think that's the case. Isn't there... Don't they do something about that? That, oh, the player to your right is the one who drops the marbles, right? Um, so that at the very least... Oh, well, yeah, if, they, if they're going to try and manipulate things, it's not going to help them much because they're the last in turn order for the draft of the marbles. Or I think there was something like that, and I thought that was clever. But honestly, my attitude is, don't do that. It's easy to simply not do that. And if you feel like you are playing with people who are going to do that, confront them about it and tell them to stop it. And if they continue to do that, take away marble duty from them. That would be my attitude. Um, right. 
Pessoa is, thank you. Thank you, Paulo. I was, I was 99% sure it was Portuguese, uh, but I'm just, and, and I'm sure that was very insulting for me to even, you know, um, conflate Portuguese, Portugal and Spain together. And I apologize to Paulo and, um, any, um, any, uh, Portuguese and any Spanish viewers I might have. Okay. Um, can I define crunchy? Oh, you're right. I say that a lot, don't I? Um, it basically, it's referring to the crunch that a game puts our brain through. The more we have to, uh, I guess in accounting terms, crunch the numbers. Thinking about, oh, well, I could do this, and th- here's all the per- permutations and parameters, and, um impacts that that choice will have. Now, oh, there's this one. I got to crunch through all of this and figure out what that one is. And this one. Okay, well, having crunched all of the po- the possibility space in front of me, I choose this. That The more you do that, the crunchier the game is. Good question. What would be my number 45? Uh, my number 45. Wow. That's a... Well, it's one I haven't played yet, obviously. Um, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Wayfarers of the South Tigris, you'll notice I've played it. It is not making this list. Wayfarers of the South Tigris is gone, and it breaks my freaking heart. But that, um, it, uh, the, the more we played it, the more frustrating and upsetting I found the design decision to say, hey, oh, oh by the way, I can take that uh, 41 through 45 off the screen because we're not doing that anymore. We're doing some Q&A. Uh, Q- I'm, 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 on, I'm, on, I'm on fire. Um, oopsie doops. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, the more... I just, you know, the, the idea of, hey, I can put influence out on cards to try to mess with you. It's just so out of place. It'd be so easy. Man, I really hope they come up with an official variant for it. Because I want to keep it, because otherwise it's a brilliant game. So I would say uh, that one, Wayfarers of the South Tigris. Did I... Oh, thank you. Uh, commanding. C. Manning 991. Did I include Frosthaven? No, I didn't. Specific... And I... And, um, I should have said this for you folks. I will say it when I record the intro for the top 10 tomorrow, but I am leaving out games that have already existed in some other form. I would not talk about Wingspan Asia or the new reprint of San Sushi or the Great Western Trail Argentina or um, any of the Feld City games that I so badly want or Frosthaven. I wanted my list to be nothing but new stuff. And so, reprints, 2.0s, inspired by reimaginings that are still 90% the same game, all of those are off my list. Um, Right. Good questions. Okay, I've caught up with questions, which means you folks have more time, because there is one more thing we are going to do. Come back over to the browser. See, I'm in it. The suggest- the question queue is empty. So, folks, remember, you can ask me more questions as we get on to the uh, last thing here. Let's see. I need to go to wish list. Boop. There's a little sneak peek at what Board Game Geek is like for me. Every time I come to Board Game, oh, I've got 651 things to read. That's all of this stuff. These are specific users I subscribe to. Every time Tom Vassell or Jamie Stegmeier or Paul Grogan or um, Isaac Childress or Johnny Pack says something, I know it. I, I basically, I've got this huge list of everybody I subscribe to, so I see everything they post on Board Game Geek. Often, that's how I can find out things about games and b- designers pub stuff. And then here's all the stuff I've subscribed to Solar Sphere and Rolling Realms, and all, and there's eight new threads for Woodcraft and all that. That's neither here nor there. That's not what I came here for. I am meant to go to wishlist.rado.com, which is my Board Game Geek wish list. It will come up shortly. Then I will filter to turn off expansions because. 
Ain't nobody got time to talk about expansions today. So now let us talk about Control F 22. So in the year, parentheses, 2022, there are 90 games on my wish list that came out in 2022 that I would like to play. I am not going to list those 90 games. These games are ranked. One, must have. Two, love to have. Three, like to have. Four, thinking about it. Um, I'm only going to read you. I'm going to I'm going to take you through the one must haves and two love to haves because those are the ones that I have identified that if I get a chance to play them between now and April, game publishers send me review copies of these games so I can play them because I think these all have the chance, from what I understand, and them to be good enough to maybe push their way into the top ten. So this is my wish list for the rest of 2022. Alrighty, so starting with. Well, actually, ignoring... Let me make this a bit bigger for you. Ignoring Hamburg and Amsterdam. Um, because, again, that, that, that thing I just talked about, though, you know, Hamburg is Bruges, Amsterdam is Macau. Those are remakes. But right at the top of my list, Weather Machine. I suspect Weather Machine has as good a shot as any game out there of making it in my top 10 for the year. I've got it. I unboxed it for you. I need to play it. There is just no time to do it. You, I may be talking to you about it in April or May when we do the follow-up. But I already unboxed it, so I don't think I need to talk about it anymore. Alrighty. Oh, Mythwind does not belong on this list because it's 2022. Da Usually, a week before I do this at the end of the year, I post to Board Game Geek and I go through Mythwind did not come out in 2022. Please update your database so that it won't show up on my list. But sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Anyway, Mythwind did not come out in 2022. Ignore that. Lofoten, though. That one in a big, big way because it is from Pearl Games. And um, I think as... Which designer was it from Pearl? Now I gotta look that up. It was... Oh, Dujardin. Mr. Deus. Um, you know, the holy trinity of designers. Georges, Dujardin, and Orban. Um, I love it when they work together. I love it when they work independently. I'm very excited for Lofton. A two-player-only um, Viking Euro economic simulation with some really cool-looking components. It is on the way. I, I've been told by the publisher. You can see that's why I've marked it as owned. It's a must-have and uh, want-to-play, which means I, I tag things as want-to-play so they can go into my list on pubcent.rado.com so I know what uh, is marked. Anyway, so Lafaten from Pearl Games Must Play It. Tribes of the Wind. I'm very excited about this game um, because uh, it's got a very cool twist on the between two castles. Oh, I'm doing a drafting kind of thing, and I care about the person to my left and the person to my right. And it would appear they've done a very good job of making a two-player combined by having a dummy player that automates the function of a third player, as uh, you know, Seven Wonders did a million years ago. And um, oh, uh, you know, between two castles of or yeah, but. but between Two Cities did. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Really want to give it a try. Plus, it looks gorgeous. I think it has Vincent Dutre art. Ottawa, it is on the way in the mail. I am the... Uh, let's see. Let's take a look. How are, the, how are the voters doing? The voters are actually in the middle of voting on stuff for coverage this year, or for, for the month of January. Let's take a look and see where the voting stands at the moment. Boop. Alrighty, so, yep, Ottawa is number one. Heat, pedal to the metal, is number two. Spoiler alert, it will not be me filming that. It will be either Ruel or Shea, because they've got access to copies. I do not. Um, and then Weather Machine, so I'll definitely be filming that in January. This is weird. Empire's End came in so high 
because after the campaign ended, they sent me a copy just because, oh, we thought you'd like to have a copy of it because I mentioned it in a, in a, in a video. Like, Here, yeah, you don't, we don't expect you to cover it. That's fine. But I'm thinking, well, heck, okay. Uh, it's not a sponsored video, but I've got it, and I figured I'd ask the voters. And it keeps trading places back and forth with Weather Machine, or with, uh, you know, these three all just keep jumping around. So the voting is still going on for a few more days, so we'll see. But it, I think Weather Machine has a pretty good shot of being covered in January based on the choice of the voters. Anyway, though, back to this. Now go back to the 22 Princey. Okay, so Ottawa. Um, the latest uh, big crunchy... There's that word again, crunchy. Oh, hey, I'm not in Q&A anymore. Gosh darn it. We are now in um, tw uh, 22 wish list territory. I've got the banner system. Why don't I use it? Okay, so uh, Ottawa from Uwe Rosenberg. Another big crunchy farming simulation. But this time, not set in Europe, but set in Africa, where the indigenous farmers are, um, you know, working, um, uh, well, what's it? Uh, syncopancy, uh, synchronicity, um, symbiotically, working symbiotically with bats, fruit bats. I'm very excited about that. I can't wait to try it. It seems like I'll be covering it in January. I suspect it might make it into my updated list. Oathsworn. I really have to play this. Shay did such an amazing job convincing me in the run-through he did for the channel of how amazing it was. I really need to play it. Monsters on Board. I covered this one. It was on Kickstarter a few years ago. Apparently, it's come out. They did not send me a copy, so I don't know. If they send me a copy, I will try it. The final version instead of the prototype. As I recall, Jen and I really liked that dice de um, drafter a lot. Ten Penny Parks. I really want to try this. This is another tile layer that has the same thing going on that... Um, Founders of Teotihuacan had, where you want a polyomino tile lay, but you don't want them directly next to each other. You want to leave space. I love that idea. It's got Vincent Dutre art, so I'm sure it's gorgeous. Crossing Oceans. I'm one of the few, maybe the only person out there that said, hey, you know what? Transatlantic from designer Matt Gertz is better than Concordia. And if Crossing Oceans is Transatlantic 2, which is basically what it is, I got to try it. Uh, my City Roll and Build. I loved My City from Reiner Knizia. If he had not blown the post-campaign gameplay, it could have been in my top 10 of the year, but he totally blew it. So I just rated very high. Um, a Roll and Write version? Gotta try it. Very excited. Galileo Project. Another one that, I mean, I liked Ganymede. This is a sequel to Ganymede. And I liked Ganymede. It was a good engine builder, but not the greatest of all time. It was just a good, solid, fun game. Um, Shay loved it. It was like in his top 10 favorite sci-fi games of all time. So when we had a chance to fire, to play Galileo Project, I said, okay, why don't you cover that one too? And he his run-through so fervently converted me to how amazing that game looks. It looks freaking astronomical. I've got to try Galileo Project because I totally think, based on the... the um, Shay's video, it could make my top 10 of the year. Resurgence, another one from Stan Kardonsky. Um, and the nice thing is the area control isn't quite as prevalent here as it was in Endless Winter. Plus, it features one of like my top three favorite mechanisms of all time, simultaneous action selection and reveal. With cards, it, I remember it being really, really good. I suspect we enjoy it. We would enjoy it more than Endless Winter, so hopefully we get a chance to try the final version. Foundations of Rome, I don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to play this, quite frankly, because I'm certainly not going to buy it. And I feel... I feel bad covering it because it's impossible for people to get, except for very rare circumstances where they have to pay hundreds of dollars because there's no 
cheap version of it. And this game, it's a polyomino tile later where in every polyomino, instead of just having a, a nice looking arted up tile you can lay. No, every single one of them are the nicest looking building minis you've ever seen in a board game. And so, yeah, you got to pay hundreds of dollars for this game that apparently is very good, a very smart design, very sharp, fun, fast, polyomino tile layer that's just at such an insanely premium price that I've always just been kind of... I've never I've never reached out to the publishers, hey, could you send me a copy of this because I'd like to cover it, but people keep talking about it. And I don't know how much of that is just because of the, hey, once it's on your table, it's so amazing, you just like to play it, versus how much is the gameplay design. Apparently, the design is very good, so I should try it, but I'm really... I wish the publisher, was it Arcane Wonders, would announce, hey, by the way, here comes a version of Foundations of Rome that you can get for 50 bucks because it just has tiles instead of all those minis. Darwin's Journey, another game I covered. Very, very sharp, fun stuff from, is it Simone Luciani, I think? I think. I remember very much liking it. I love Simone's work. I would have to try it. Um, you know, they did not send me a final version of it. We'll see. If they do, um, yeah, I don't know. I have to ask. Do, I mean, currently my number 10 is Carnegie. Do I think it could be better than Carnegie? I have very dim recollections of being really blown away by it, but I can't say for sure. Okay. Old London Bridge. We played that a couple of times and we were, I mean, that was, if I, if I were to do a top 10 surprises of 2022, Old London Bridge would come near the top. Um, and it shouldn't. It's from Leo Colavini and he has a co-designer. I do not remember who. And Leo Colavini has always been a great designer. Very, but this is like his most grounded, less quirky offbeat. Uh, and it's, it, it's a good look on him. It's so good. Jen and I were both really impressed. I would love to play this one some more, but, um, I only played the prototype. Precognition. I have this one. I'm definitely, seems like the voters aren't choosing for me to cover it. You just, I wasn't anywhere near the top of the vote, but I'm definitely going to play it because I love, this is a game where, oh, it's impossible to describe. It's got, it's, it's got a card drafting. Okay. Basically imagine seven wonders card drafting where every turn I'm going to pick a card for myself and I'm going to hand the rest of the cards to you, right? At the end of a round, like Sushi Go or whatever. But as I'm handing them to you, I'm going to force you to play one of them and of the other ones that I didn't force you to play next round, you're going to have to give one of them back to me. And that sounds crazy convoluted. And I don't know if it is or it isn't, but I love that idea. It's called precognition because I can anticipate what cards are going to come to me in the future because of the three I give to you, one I'm going to make you play whether you like it or not. And um, of the remaining two, one of those two you'll have to give back to me. So it's thematically all about predicting the future and stuff like that. And it sounds like it could be really, really cool. I'd love to try it. Rise... Um, I, it's, this is a, this is the ultimate game of, uh, uh, climbing tracks. Um, and Capstone Games rarely picks losers. So I just want to give it a go. Bazaars of Ubar, that shouldn't be on the list. It did not come out in 2022. I tried to tell, t uh, Board Game Geek, they did not fix it. Um, Woodcraft. Oh, this is free for anybody. This is a note to myself. I need to print this out and play it. You can go on Board Game Geek, print out the Woodcraft roll and write, and hey, maybe get a sense for whether you'd like Woodcraft, which made my top 10. Hippocrates, um, same deal as Darwin's Journey, played it, need to play it again. Interestingly, as I, be I believe Hippocrates is getting an expansion in 2023. So I'm very keen to try that out. That was Elaine Orban, if I recall correctly. Again, from the, from the Trinity of Designers. All right, and then we have nothing for a while. Then, oh, that's it. Okay, now we we we're now we're down in the threes. Legend Raiders, Time Stories Revolution, Cavendish Man, Astrum, Eight Gods, Silicon Valley, Book of Villainy, The Gardens, Dice Hospital, ER, 
uh, roll uh, tiles. I mean, a lot of these didn't come out, but you know what? I didn't bother trying to fix these ones because I was only going to talk about ones and twos. So there we go, folks. I just listed a whole bunch more games that I think are really outstanding. In many cases, I've played them, but not all of them, but all of them give me good reason to be excited. So we are close to the end, my friend. Um, on this fine Christmas Eve. But uh, I see a few more questions have come in. This is your last chance to get questions in. Uh, what would I rank high, uh, higher? A game with great design that I don't enjoy or a game with poor design that I really enjoy? Um, uh, wow, poor design. See, if you'd said a game with standard or adequate or average design, it'd be easy. I would prefer, I would rank higher an average design game that I really, really, uh, that I enjoy over the greatest design of all time and I hate it because it's got too much player versus player or it doesn't work well for two or whatever it might be. You know, all those kind of standard um, rules. Um, or I don't like the theme or, or whatever. But you didn't. You said actively... a poorly designed game. Now, that's the thing. Can I enjoy a genuinely poorly designed game? I don't think so. I'm hard-pressed to think of a game in the 10 years that I've been doing this that, oh yeah, I know it's a, it's a piece of garbage, but yeah, I still like it anyway. There have been plenty of, well, I know this is average. I know there's nothing special about this game at all, but yeah, I enjoy it anyway. Those I've seen several times. And those I would rank higher. Because here's the deal. My rankings on BoardGameGeek are not intended to be a reflection of what are the objectively superior designs. I could totally do that. I, you know, As a person with 20 years of actual hands-on design experience, and then 10 years of whatever you want to call what I'm doing now, um, so 30 years of game industry experience, I believe... I'm as well-suited as anybody to say, objectively, this design is superior to this design by these particular metrics. But that's not what I do. I make a list and I rank them based on what Jen and I enjoy playing the most and what I would most like to play. And if uh, if if the house were burning down, what which ones would I save? It's a, it's a mishmash of just personal, subjective, works-for-me type things. So... Um, I reject the question because if it's a poor design, there's no way I'm going to like it. I, I just can't. I mean, you saw Marrakesh is a objectively brilliant design, and yet I put it at the bottom of my list because I rankle against production choices they made. There were two games like that, weren't there? Oh, Lacrimosa. Uh, same thing. It's like if you'd made different production choices, um, you know. So if if I can find myself disliking a brilliant game because of picayune little things like that an actively bad design, there's no way I'm going to enjoy that, no matter how custom designed it is for me. So, with that case, I would say I would rank the game that I don't enjoy more than the poor game that I do enjoy, because that second one literally does not exist. Okay, so I'm basically dodging the question. Mr. Boom says, how would I rank pancakes, waffles, and French toast? Oh, easy. Um, waffles number one, pancakes number two, French toast, bottom of the barrel. And that's not, I, I, I like French toast too, but French toast, I think, is the hardest to get right. I mean, waffles are practically foolproof. They literally make machines to do them. Um, plus, that aside, I like the crunch. 
Now, of course, French toast is more likely to have some crunch. Usually not, but you can, depending on what type of bread you use. Um, but, uh, you know, pancakes, again, I, I, if, if, if I have an offer or three, I will take waffles because I genuinely like the most because of the crunch. Um, I would take fr- French toast least likely because it has the greatest chance of me saying, oh, well, that didn't work. Now, that might be in part because when I was... 11 years old, give or take, my mom, as a special weekend surprise for me and my brother, made us French toast with rye bread. And that was the most one of the most horrific dining experiences I've ever had in my life. Both my brother and I stomped our feet down, were terrible little monsters, I'm sure broke my mom's heart, and said we refused to eat it because it was so disgusting. And um, so she got very angry and scolded us, and I believe that's when I lost. My eye was like two cards away from the entire collection of Star Wars trading cards that if I got the other two, I could have earned a poster. And it was the, po- the famous poster of Luke Han and Leia, you know, on the Death Star, you know, kind of, you know, in, in that, everybody's seen that. I was going to get that poster and mom threw them all away. Who knows what they'd be worth now. But, um, because we were so, such crappy kids and refused to eat her rye bread French toast, which was disgusting. And honestly, I still can't fr- stand rye bread. I'm not, and again, we're talking good French toast here, but I guess I've, I've, I've still got residual scars. Okay. Um, sign 007 says, arriving late, this is apologies, we've already touched it, a hidden gem of the board game from 2022 that also players should definitely get. Well, if I mean, I, spoiler alert for my top 10, I would definitely say, um, what's it? Uh, what's it? What's it? What's it? What's it? Shapers of Gaia from WizKid Games. Nobody's covered that game. I've had it for months, and my voters have keep saying, nope, we don't need you to cover it. I had watched a John Gets Games video of it, and I thought, oh, that looks really good. But when with Jen and I, we said, to heck it, I'm going to play it this month because I really want to play it because I love engine builders. And it turns out it is by far the best engine builder of the year. It is a freaking brilliant design. It just does everything perfectly, and nobody knows about it. Everybody's ignoring it. So yeah, 100%. The hidden gem. Now, the, and, uh, and so, and this is a follow-on. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, um, Ruel Gaviola and I did our top 10 hidden gems of the year. And um, so I amend my list there to put Shapers of Gaia in the number one spot. And what was ever number one is now number two and so on. Uh, but anyway, there, there, you'll get a bunch more ideas there from our top 10 hidden gems of the year. Just do a search for Rado top 10 here, or just do go to rnr.rado.com and you'll find it. But yeah, I'm going to say Shapers of Gaia really blew me and Jen both uh, totally away. I thought it was going to be good. I had no idea it was going to be one of the best of the year. Um, 2023 anticipated games. I'm glad you asked, Weave and Roll, because a week from now, um, you know, or six days and 21 and a half hours from now, I am going to be doing my, um, probably normally I do a top 25 most anticipated games. So I'll be streaming it on Christmas Eve, uh, December 31st at noon Pacific time, and then putting it on YouTube the following day. So join me again a week from now, and I'll try to make sure that for folks who join, there's a little bit of extra. Of course, there'll be Q&A and other types of things as well. Um, so that's coming next week. Uh, yeah, you can't do anticipate games on Christmas. You got to do that on New Year's. All righty. Last question. Looks like I'm all caught up. And it's weave and roll again. Single mechanism that should never be used again. Doesn't exist. There's no such thing. I, I, mm. I refute the question. The worst mechanisms of all time. You know, roll to resolve. Roll to move. Take that. Um, anything. 
anything can be used to good effect. And I have seen good version, good um, uses of every bad mechanism there is. So there's no such thing as an unredeemable board game mechanism. Just means uh, you need a good designer to find a good use for it. I 100% believe that. So I can't answer your question. Um, but I will try. So now, with that in mind, now you're going to make me obliterate one, and I do not believe it deserves to be obliterated. Err. Um, roll to resolve. That's what I'm going to say, roll to resolve. Uh, you know, the notion of, I make all my plans, I figure out exactly what I want to do, and then I have to roll a die, and the die tells me whether I can do it or not. That's garbage. It's, it's, and that's not too far removed from roll to move as well. Roll to move is just a version of roll to resolve. But yeah, a roll to resolve. Now, that's not to say roll to resolve can't be done well. Here's how you do board game designers. If you want to put roll to resolve in your game, that's fine. There's a way to make it perfect. Ensure that the game gives players the means um, to uh, manipulate the results and do not require the players to commit those means before the roll. Because that's garbage. That literally makes roll to resolve worse. When you have to say, oh, this roll is so important, I'm going to play three cards to ensure that after the roll, if I need them, I can manipulate things. That's the worst of the worst. So that. Playing cards prior to a roll um, and hope and, and, you know, that that one sub mechanism of roll to resolve, I I think that is unredeemable. So I, I amend my earlier statement. Okay. Uh oh, more questions came in. American pancakes or thin European pancakes? Um, American. I'm American. What do I like better, European style? I mean, um, European milkshakes are are horrible. They're they're just abysmal. Um, you you, you clearly haven't um gotten the memo. Um. Oh, ice cream. Uh, European ice cream, as a general rule, is uh, superior uh, to uh, American ice cream. You know, specifically, a really good gelato is probably better than the best of, you know, American more hard pack ice cream. Um, right. What's a good version of Take That? Well, first of all, Take That, to me, is much more acceptable in a game where that's literally the sole purpose we are here. Take that, to me, is much more acceptable in chess than it would be in Agricola. Because, um, look, I, in Agricola, I'm here to build a farm and to feed my family. I'm not here to crush you. In chess, there is no reason for me to sit down at the table other than to crush you. And so that makes it uh, take that acceptable. Now, that's not a game I want to seek out, but I can think of very specifically, it was... I remember the name of it. It was like Atlas or something like that. Now I'm going to have to go look it up. All righty. Let's go to Board Game Geek. And was it, I want to say it was Atlas. A T H L A S. Yes, Atlas, Duel for Divinity. For the longest time, I kept this uh, in my queue as a game that I would say, well, hey, look, Jen and I can enjoy, you know, uh, Battle of Wits chess games uh, because what Atlas is. It's it's a it's it's so sadly overlooked. I'm sure you can't get it now, but it is um, dudes on a map running around just trying to punch each other and and hold places of power. We've seen this kind of thing in a million games. But before you start playing, you literally 
custom craft your army of I think it's I think you make three different types of units and you've got all these different cards that you can mix and match you can make them ranged or you can give them um, flying abilities or special powers or you can turn them into healers I mean, it's, and it's really cool and honestly it was so much fun the first half of this game actually creating your perfect battle units and I love that so much that the uh, that I enjoy I found myself enjoying the take that in the second half, where, okay, now we're going to run around and punch the crap out of each other, because if I didn't do my best to punch the crap out of your stuff, you never really got the chance to, um, you know, take your design that you made for a test spin and see how well it does. I feel honor-bound and obligated. I feel like I'm doing you a favor because you don't, you don't really get the full use of your perfectly custom, customized little character unless I do my best to destroy it. And so there, I found it acceptable. I'm not going to say I, I loved it. I still would have rather it had been a cooperative game where, hey, let's make our perfect things, and now let's co com combat cooperatively uh, do a tower defense kind of thing. Oh, man, I wish Atlas had done that. Maybe people would still remember it now. Although, this was from a time before uh, co-op was a big deal. So, but, um, you know, that's an example of where I, where I will find it acceptable, and maybe I could even enjoy some pleasure, derive some pleasure from it. Okay. Um, Crepe Suzette uh, for breakfast... For dessert or breakfast? Um, well, the thing is, we don't have breakfast. We skip breakfast. And normally our breakfast is very savory. I'm not honestly... Uh, I would call it a dessert, I think. Uh, because I... I'm like as I mentioned earlier, I'm 52, and the pounds don't just melt off the way they used to. So I generally... I mean... The question earlier was waffles or pancakes or French toast. Um, if it had been waffles, pancakes, French toast, or bacon and eggs, I would have chose bacon and eggs uh, because I generally prefer savory meals and I try to keep my sweets for just a rare occasional desserts to try to keep my weight under control. All right, looks like we've made it again. Last question. How is this turning into a cooking channel? I don't know, but clearly we have to get out of here before we go deeper down that rabbit hole. So, folks, we are Dunsville, and now it is time to raid some poor unfortunate soul in pain, in need. So, let's see, who is doing board games right now? Um, is there any channel out there? I don't think I recognize any of these channels that say they do board games. I do not. Uh, right. Let me come over to... It's going to be... The, the tool I have is really hard to search. Oh, wait. What's that? Uh, nice. Nice. Uh, Shibe's nice list. Oh. Shibe's nice list. Through the, oh, yo, you just said... What does Shibes mean? Anyway, though. But anyway, thank you, folks. You had this whole time. You could have been deluging me with holiday-themed stickers. Um, so I'm glad one of them showed up before the show was over. Let's see. I need to go to Twitch. Just twitch.com. Uh, because the the interface in OBS does not make it easy to see what I'd be rating. So board games. Let's look at board games and see what we can see. And if anybody has any recommendations, by all means. All right, that's in a foreign language, so we're not going to do that one. What is that? Uh, right, that's me. That's oh, that's that's an exit game. That's a. I don't, man, that's gives me nothing but spoilers. But on the other hand, Lottikins only has one viewer. Does anybody have any suggestions for um, anything? 
uh, that you would like to see rated. What is this? What is that game? Oh my gosh! There. Uh, so okay, there's some uh, terracotta army. All right. Although, it looks like the guy doing terracotta army has literally fallen asleep. I'm not paused, and he. I think he's literally asleep in his live stream. Okay, then that's probably not the best thing to raid. Um, Time Roller Studios. How strange. Okay, you know what? Let's just do Blood on the Clock Tower. Uh, it's definitely one of those games I would love to play someday down low. It looks like a big group of people having a grand old time. So we are going to raid that because that won't be spoiler-centric. Uh, oh, and it looks like they are... Are they just ending or are they just starting? Oh my gosh, I think they're just ending. Oh, yeah. Yep, they're just they're just quitting. Okay. Um, all right, back to board games. Does anybody have any suggestions? I don't have to raid anybody. Usually, I, it's not too hard to find somebody on a Tuesday afternoon to raid. Um, okay. Has anybody said anything? Pandemonium has been playing... Pandemonium is... Right, okay, yeah. So, yes, I see you're talking about that. But I just, I just went and looked, and it looked like they're quitting. Uh, is the game over? We will see. All right, they're, yeah, yep, okay, yep, yeah, they're done, unfortunately. They just have not shut down their uh, stream yet. So yeah, that would totally be the one. Okay, well, then, any other suggestion? Yeah, normally on Tuesdays, if nothing else, there's always... Um, a few, all right. Let's see. I don't know what this Arkham Horror Holiday Special is. Iron Man Scavenger Hunt with Terrain Chief. He is. A ter- oh, he's awake. Oh, he was just okay. Well, okay, cool, cool, cool. Terracotta Army is cool. I, I, I just, I didn't want to disturb him. Let's go with that. All right. Uh, board games. What was he? He was. Uh, was he Time Roller? Was that it? I think. Yes, he is. Okay. So, folks, go see why Terracotta Army did not make my top 10 of the year, but it was the number one game of one of the seven contributors on my channel. They listed it as their number one. So, you can go find out why um, when we raid Time Roller in um, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Raid! Go, 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 go. All righty. That was silly. And, all right, looks like it worked. And, let's see, wait, if he, if he notices it. All right, the raid worked. And he's getting followers. And, he seems to not be big in the audience uh, interaction there. But I'm sure it's a very important text, and I'm sure he'll get to you all soon, wherever you are. Hey, folks, uh, thanks for... Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or whenever you watch it. Uh, again, I'll be back next week to do um, Anticipate Games. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye. <laughs>